0: Who still remembers Pampiro Furpo, who booked the screw job in Montreal who has a good friend named Weasel
1: Dooley everyone knows it's corny who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom, who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier, everyone knows it's corny Took a shoot, fought off of the scaffolding. Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's Corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through, he'll answer questions from you. And he won the pony too. Thank you, fuck you, bye. Thank you, fuck you, bye. Thank you, fuck you,
2: bye. Thank you, fuck you, bye. Hello again, friends. And you are our friends. And welcome back to another, I was going to say, is it summer yet? I think it is. Summer's edition of Jim Cornette's drive through right here on another beautiful summer's day. Wherever you may be, we are going to stomp right through the forbidden door today. And who knows what else we'll do. But I'm your host, the great Brian Last, and here he is, the star of the drive-thru, Mr. Jim Cornette.
3: Woo! Mercy, baby! Handsome Jimmy loves you all! Hey! Six-man tag! I've been married six times, I got six old ladies, I've been divorced seven times. Woo! Mercy! It's your show. I
2: don't know, what do you want me to, how do I come back from that?
3: (laughs) What am I supposed to say? How do I come back from that? That's what we we need a little handsome Jimmy energy today. Handsome Jimmy Valiant the Boogie Woogie Man, the number 1 tourist attraction of Shawsville, Virginia, by the way. Have you been there? Have you been to his museum? I've not been there. I have not been to, I I can't believe actually that we didn't end up somehow running Shawsville, Virginia in, in the Smoky Mountain days, but I have I've not had the chance to be there.
2: In Smoky Mountain wrestling, do you know which town you ran that actually had the smallest population? I, it would have had to, I would,
3: I don't know for sure, but I would be hard pressed to say that I have ever run with Smoky Mountain Wrestling, Ohio Valley Wrestling, or anything else, a town smaller than Clarefield, Tennessee. It was on the the state line of Tennessee and Kentucky and way up these mountain roads and we got to and it's we're advertised this is at the local school gym right which spot shows throughout wrestling history have been at school gyms but we got to this school gym it was a gym all right there was there were workout equipment you know and and balls and things for the kiddies to play with but it's the only school gym I've ever seen that didn't actually have any seats it was just the gym floor. I don't even, it wasn't a regulation basketball court. I know that much. There was a basketball court in there, and there may have been two or three rows of bleachers on two sides of this gym. And otherwise, we had some folding chairs, but I, Sandy Scott didn't do the in person site survey on this one, and they fudged the numbers on the capacity when they signed the contract. We're doing a TV taping, and we had to put the ring. <laughs> Yeah, I ain't shitting you. We we had to put the ring as far back as we could and put like either two rows of bleachers or seats on the other side just so there was people there to get the camera on the other side far enough back where we could shoot ring post to ring post.
2: Wikipedia, actually in a good way, does not have any current data of Clarifield, Tennessee. (laughs) I'm not sure it's still there. But it has from the 2000 census, so that would probably be... This was in 1995. Okay, so this is close enough. The population in 2000 was 1,002 people. (laughs) And the average household size was 2.6 people. And the median household income was $16,477.
3: There you have it. Clairfield, Tennessee. So if there was 2.6 people per household, or however they phrased it, And there's a thousand people. That means there was only like 400 houses in the whole fucking town. So you can imagine and figure out how many businesses there were. And God, that Kevin Sullivan did a promo or did something in front of, there was, I still say I, I should go over. Maybe we take a break. I'll look up the files, but there was between 150 and 200 people in this gym. So that was twenty percent of the fucking town, right? That's pretty impressive. That's Memphis, like, well,
2: well, at its but, peak. If you really think how big Smoky Mountain was in Clairfield, you got. Well, I'll
3: will t- tell you something else here in a minute, though. But no, Kevin did this, Sullivan did this promo or whatever he did, or they did something where he had the, you know, the Night Stalker with him and the band of, you know, s- uh, savage hooligans that
2: he had around with him. That was the best stuff. That was the best stuff. The Night Stalker, Brian Clark, Adam Bomb, whatever. It was the best stuff yeah. he ever did. But the thing is, this guy got so hot, he was
3: screaming, I'm going to go out. He went out the front door, out to his car to get his gun. And they had to follow him. The 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 school officials. And they said, no, 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 you need to, you just keep on going. I mean, they were fired up. They'd never seen anybody in that town that was actually on television before. And here we come in where there was, the goddamn TV truck was half as long as the fucking Jim was so this was a big deal for Clarefield, but that's not unusual honestly especially in in the Appalachian region or in a lot of places in the south especially in uh, western Virginia western North Carolina uh, that part of West Virginia East Tennessee Eastern Kentucky if you have a show of some kind and because none of those towns are very big but there'd be like, that's where they have county. In that area of the country, they have county high schools. You don't have a high school in every town. You have the county high school. And so when the county gets bigger in population, they have like North something county high school and South something county high school. But so when there's an attraction at one of these bigger high school gyms, not like Clarefield, but they have big high school gyms at back in those hills because of basketball. And you will sometimes, it, Crockett used to do this. I know for a fact Jared has done it in the Memphis Territory and, you know, Southeastern back in the day in East Tennessee. You can sometimes have a crowd in a town's high school gym that is bigger than the population of the town. Because they'll come, they're, they're used to driving 15 miles to, go to, the, to get gas or go to the grocery. And that would be a sometimes a short trip for some of the people up there. So if there's something they want to see a ball game, wrestling match, Fourth of July, whatever, they'll load the family up in the car and drive twenty or thirty miles because that's you know that you might sometimes you go fifteen miles up there without encountering a stoplight. So it, it's it's it sounds odd, but it's happened numerous times in wrestling history where you would actually have a crowd that was bigger than the population of the town you were in. We had God, I want to say was it 12 or 1300 people one time at the high school football field in Saltville, Virginia. I don't expect you to look that one up because no, I, I was
2: at a show in Saltville, Virginia for Smoky Mountain, that's but it right. wasn't that During one. Fan Week. Yeah, yeah, they they
3: they've since in the 30 years since then they've merged with Pepperboro. So
2: Anyway, it's your program. It is, and I'm having fun talking classic wrestling. I was trying to keep this going for a little while before we have to dive into modern wrestling. <laughs> I don't we shouldn't dive in. We should jump in feet first. Where at least if
3: there's anything sharp, we won't be damaged too bad. Have you ever done a cannonball? Is that your kind of thing if you're in a pool? The only way I've ever jumped into open water of any kind is feet first. I'm I don't head first anything. Oh, well, I can. I can do a nice little head first through the ropes, but I'm going to turn on on the way around. Not like these fucking guys these days.
2: Well, hopefully the cannonball wouldn't be head first. They really want would defeat. But the whole no, no, that's it. well, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't
3: dive into water. I don't want my head to go underwater. I haven't jumped in where and cannonballed where actually my head would go underwater in. Oh God, thirty years at least. Because it makes my it, well, it makes my ears very uncut. Inco- I don't like liquid in my ears. I don't like eardrops or any kind of liquid in my ears. i I'd never have ever opened my eyes underwater. I can't wow. do that. I don't I don't want any liquid in my eyes to when the eye doctor gives me the eye drops, they have to have the assistant use both hands to hold my eyes open. I'm not physically able to do that because I know it's coming. I don't want any fucking liquid in the orifices I've got in my fucking head.
2: I'm afraid that rot could set in, some kind of mold mildew issue. This is the craziest thing I've ever heard. I've never thought of it that way. I don't want to let liquid in. If I open my eyes underwater, I'm letting liquid yeah,
3: in. I, and your nose? <laughs> and I, you know I've had problems with nosebleeds. I was a very fragile child. So I don't want I don't want salt water up my nose. I don't want to swat. I don't want to breathe water into my lungs. I don't want
2: fucking water damaging my eardrums. You can get infections that way. What about earplugs? What about earplugs? They make lots of earplugs. They're relatively inexpensive. You can get them at CVS or any of your. Finest pharmacies, you put them in your ears, you make a little ball out of them, you put them in your ears, that protects your ears. Well, will you, if I have to do that, I'm going to use the Raycon wireless earbuds. <laughs> no,
3: I no, don't no. know why that they're not <laughs> sponsoring this week's particular program, where we could have segued graciously and gracefully into that, but no, I just, no, I just, I'll I'll have water up to my fucking chinny chin chin, and from there on, and then I'm just, I, and I'm a good floater. I can swim, not for speed, but for self-preservation.
2: How could you swim if you don't want to get any part of your face underwater? What kind of swimming are you doing exactly? I can, I can, I can <laughs> swim to get from one place to
3: another. As far as I'm ever going to be out in the middle of fucking water, I can swim to, to whatever solid surface, whether it be a boat or shore or whatever, and without sticking my head underwater, and I'm a real good floater. And I, I got a heck of a dog paddle, and I actually I prefer to <laughs> swim on my back. I'm kicking my my legs are the strongest part of my anatomy, <laughs> and I'm I'm doing the little the little thing with my hands where I'm propelling myself along. I got my head out. I can see what's going on up above me, but then you got to worry about the fucking sharks and everything down below, which is why I don't go into open water much deeper than my my waist or so you can get in trouble that way have you ever been to a water park been to yes have you ever gone on any of the rides i went down one water slide one time and i said fuck that whole goddamn thing i <laughs> oh, thought i was gonna on. die i thought i was gonna <laughs> die we went round and up and down and over and i'm shit now i'm taking in water she's taking in water captain and fucking I'm sp- and then it you come out the thing and you go straight down and you're you got velocity. So you're underwater for a while. I came out fighting, got out and cussed a bit and said, that'll be the last <laughs> fucking time I'll do that. <laughs> and it has been. All right. There you go. I liked my slide I had when I was a kid. It was about five feet tall, and you could slide down and land on your feet and stand up and go about your business.
2: What about a swing set? Did you like a swing set? I like the swing
3: set. Just a swing in. I like the swing set.
2: What about the seesaw? Did you like the I seesaw? Had, I
3: not only had, a, you know, no, the thing, I was a portly child and a lot of people <laughs> couldn't, couldn't saw me once I'd seen them. But, but I did, I liked the swing set. And also I had a, I'll have you know, a tire swing hanging from a, a maple tree that is not here anymore. This was 50 years ago right outside the driveway area there. I had an old spare tire tied up as a swing, and they I could get in it, and they'd, they'd push me. My cousin Larry one time pushed me some fucking high up. I goddamn hit my head on one of the limbs. So then every time that Larry would push me, my mom made me put my fucking batting helmet on.
2: <laughs> Hold on. There's so many different visuals for Travis to work with and whatever we're talking about oh, here. there'll be, they'll be a, series, a portfolio of artwork <laughs> on this
3: program. <laughs> and now available, the Travis Heckle Portfolio One of drive Through number 250.
2: Next year from uh, Figures Toy Company, little <laughs> Jim Cornette with a helmet on and his little <laughs> tire. Comes complete with spare tire and batting helmet. Tiny rope optional. You sell the tree and make it a play set. I mean, if you really think about it? I did the tree is gone unfortunately. Cousin Larry we, not included. Cousin Larry not <laughs> included. He, he
3: drives a hard bargain. I don't know if he'd if he'd sign a contract with them for the conditions.
2: All right, what else can we divert conversation? With? I
4: don't
3: well, you know at, at com, folks, uh the feather bottoms are doing a wonderful job as we mentioned we've caught up with action figures. Everybody should have their Belongings, as of this point, I believe we've out of 2,500 orders or whatever, we've identified less than a dozen people where the post office has said, fuck you, not today. And we're, we're going to get them fixed up. And uh, they have contacted us and, uh, thank you for the support of the, I'm a sin guy shirts. Uh, a couple sizes still available. They're going quickly. There's people calling right now to order. <laughs> I don't know. If you know me, call me back later. If you don't, quit fucking calling me. There we go.
2: That solves that.
3: So anyway, um, but uh, we thank everybody for supporting those shirts. Still a few available. All proceeds going to NAMI, N-A-M-I dot org, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And in consultation with the Feather Bottoms. This week on the Jim Cornette Experience, we'll have the details on our July Crusade for Children fundraiser as well. So that's and in the meantime, there's no waiting for behind the curtain graphic novels, cult Cornette membership certificates, autograph photos, T-shirts, and so much more. And still, we're on the last few hundred Jim Cornette commentator playset action figures in the beautiful full full color display box.
2: You need to get one of those little stamps, approved by the Feather Bottoms, or shipped by the Feather Bottoms, something like that.
3: Fucked by the Feather Bottoms. No, the I, don't, I don't know if the Postal bottoms,
2: Service is going to want to handle that package, necessarily. Well,
3: no, Feather Bottoms, ultra-careful handling. We will fuck your package, so if they stamp <laughs> F-U-C-H, fuck on it, then they will know that it's been carefully handled by the Feather Bottoms. And you will know why it didn't arrive. It's fucked. <laughs>
2: All right well you know jim there's a lot of things to talk about there's so many things happening hey how's the weather hey i'll tell you it's a a beautiful day for once
3: it's only in the 80s and the humidity the dew point is in the upper 40s to low 50s i'll have you that's gorgeous
2: congratulations
3: yeah it ain't gonna last though it's going back up over 70 on friday and the heat index will be 105 how's
2: your weather it's just gorgeous up here. The dew point is just on target.
3: Yeah, you don't have a you don't have a clue what your dew point is, and don't don't let me hear your fingers tapping on that thing. You don't look hear up the weather.
2: You don't hear any tapping right now.
3: You do not know what your dew point is. Of course, Dude. I don't. Most people don't. It would don't. behoove you. Most people don't to care for your dew point. But it and the wildlife report is we haven't <laughs> caught the skunk. But two of the three raccoons, as we mentioned on the last program, have been relocated. And just this morning, I saw two mama deers with the baby deer in the front yard grazing peacefully.
2: Are they going to hate it when that third raccoon comes to scare them away?
3: Well, that day, I saw the raccoon day before yesterday climbing up the maple tree on, on the lady's side next to me and going in a hollow hole. And the baby deer was down underneath it like they were arguing. I don't know what he had said to the baby deer to cause the baby deer to get upset, but the baby deer couldn't climb the tree. You know, there's like going down there and knocking that raccoon out of that tree to give that baby deer a fair shot at it. But then I thought about the immortal words of Jerry Clower, knock him out, John. Oh, shoot that thing. Knock him out, John. Oh, shoot that thing! We can't shoot up there, John. We might hit you. We'll just shoot up here
2: amongst us, cause one of us needs a little relief. Have you thought about a kids' book series, maybe with Travis <laughs> Heckle artwork? The animals of cor- of Cornet <laughs> of Cornet Creek, I guess it would be. Well, it, 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 we could
3: do that, Cornet Creek, if we wanted to get more even more pioneerish. But who would be holding the various animals' heads? What? Well, if, if, you know, oh, you, you didn't mean that kind of book. I said a kid's book. Oh, a kid's book? I thought you meant one of those Tijuana Bible things like you got on Jim
2: Londo's. No, I got a whole collection of Tijuana Bibles. There's a book mm-hmm. that had an anthology of all of them, except the Jim Londo's one. That wasn't in there.
3: Well, that, that was only for, that was very hush hush and on down download.
2: Well, speaking of hush hush and on the download. <laughs>
3: I know what we got. This will be fun. Uh oh. Well, we talked about on the previous my show the experience that we just did. A fellow named Jared had written in, found a letter that his grandparents had received from a friend of theirs back in 1951, and said was saying, "Hey, I saw you guys on TV at the wrestling matches the the other night," and gave the date of May 19th. And so Jared had asked, well, what was the card May 19th in St. Louis? And, and you know, or what show would my grandparents have been on or whatever? And blah, blah, blah. And we did the research on St. Louis and found out there was no wrestling card in St. Louis that night. Sam Muchnick had closed for the season. They were down for the summer. We speculated it wasn't a TV taping that Muchnick himself was doing because they had no TV in St. Louis at that point. That would come a few years later when they got the beer sponsor. And we said, maybe it was an out-of-town tape is the only thing we could think of. And I I forgot to mention, and I was going to say, or maybe somebody, the, the news in St. Louis did a story on the wrestling promotion. They happened to use a file clip or whatever. However, I believe the mystery has been solved. Because thanks to the uh, brilliant research of Ken Zimmerman, another Cult of Cornet member out there, who I I guess got a wild hair up his ass, he was going to solve this. He went to the newspaper files or whatever on May 19th, 1951. That was a day that a wrestling television program aired in St. Louis, and it was the Chicago show from the Marigold Arena with the main event of Frankie Hart against the original Gypsy Joe. So I bet you, because it's not uh, the distance from the earth to the moon, from St. Louis to Chicago, and I bet you if Jared's grandparents were big wrestling fans, that if they were visiting Chicago or whatever, they may have taken in the matches.
2: 51's Dumont Network, so they probably would have seen it.
3: Yeah, and because, well, it was an ad in the St. Louis paper wrestling tonight from Marigold Arena with this and gave the the matches. So that definitely aired in St. Louis on the night in question that Jared's grandparents were seen by their friend. And I'm saying that I'm
2: calling ring the bell. I think we've done it. And you know what, now that we know a little bit about it, you should double-check, and we can't do this live you're on the show, but double-check if there's any footage, because there's a lot of footage from Chicago that's still out there, the films but, of different shows. But is
3: it dated properly, where you could say, For oh, the this most happened part, on May 19th? night." Well, uh, that's right, the Chicago, what is it, the... Chicago Film Archive? Uh, Film Archive. Yeah, I think that's it. Yes. That's probably the... Uh, there's more... Chicago footage than there is Los Angeles or definitely anything in the Northeast from that time period.
2: And I think there's still stuff they haven't converted. There's still more stuff out there, which is incredible. Well, what's keeping them? Money. Well, fuck! That's easy to solve. Just send them some. The program's out there, because this would be a Wrestling As You Like It program that would cover that show. So, Jared, we're holding your grandparents
3: hostage, (laughs) and... And they need some money up there at the Chicago Historical Archives to transfer the rest of this footage. If you know what's good for you, then you'll send them some money, and maybe you'll see your grandparents again. Your grandparents will be fine. Don't listen to them. Well, he's one one to track them down. I'm just telling you, it could be a tit-for-tat type of situation. He gives them some tit, and they give him back some tat. All right. Well,
2: now let's get to the wrestling portion. Let's get to the tits. Get to the modern wrestling.
3: This wrestling is getting on my tits. I'll tell you that right now. They'll just they're belly laughing right now across the pond over in the UK. Gets on my tits is an expression that they sometimes use over there in that part of the world.
2: All right. Well, before they accuse you of being a bell end, let's get going with the show here. And hey, we have Forbidden Door. We have media scrum audio. Apparently. But last night, as we are recording, was Monday Night Raw, a very special Monday Night Raw, celebrating 20 years of John Cena not being an OVW. That's right. How much of it did you get to see? I got to see all the stuff involving or talking about John Cena,
3: which was the highlight of the program. And For once, it took me almost an hour to watch three hours of Raw, because there was actually content on it. And they, they had the big banners uh OVW thank you for 20 years of Johnson no, I'm just kidding they should have at least sent Danny Davis a card but they did nothing they took all the credit I mean the, it was fantastic John Cena's a once in a, a once in a generation actually maybe makes him too common because it happened that Rock and Austin both came along at the same time and that never happens he's a once in a blue moon type of performer, the Cenas, the Austin's the rocks. And obviously he's now the youngest, biggest star that they have that has gone into movies and Hollywood and television, et cetera. I'm, and I loved his performance and we'll talk about it in more detail. I guess I'm trying to preface all that by saying, so people don't say I'm going to go right in and savage this segment. I'm not picking apart anything that John Cena did, but I am just, I don't know how I feel about having the other wrestlers on the roster, even some guys that they theoretically plug into a main event every now and then, doing a standing ovation in the back and applauding the guy when he comes through, no matter who, could you see that many guys on the roster in the Attitude Era doing that for bruno not because bruno wouldn't deserve it but because it it the guys in the attitude era didn't look like fans of fucking other
2: wrestlers am i saying this correctly in any fashion well it's also about the presentation of them they would never be presented as fans of other wrestlers yeah, you know, I can't see
3: a lot of those guys standing there with. The, oh, I'm so glad my favorite wrestler from when I was a kid and clapping is coming here and blah 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 and allowing him to walk by and tussle their hair or or give him a little peck on a cheek or a little nudge under the chin or whatever. Hey, that a boy, kid. Did you see like Becky he, Lynch?
2: I did not see her. Was she back there? I could be wrong because I I didn't rewind it and watch it a second time. But she was on the right side, head down very very slowly almost barely clapping the only one that seemed to kind of be selling the idea that maybe she shouldn't kinda want get to be that there she shouldn't be there yeah
3: because yeah. i'm a main event star too motherfucker and i sold more tickets last year than you did Good vessel last year what and she's a heel yeah and and see that that's the thing i wasn't comfortable with i understand i'm giving him a big ovation i love the uh, the referees crew people the the announcers god damn does michael hayes wear that shit to the every tv or did they give him a heads up he was going to be on camera
2: when did that start because i've seen plenty of out of the ring photos of him from the 80s he never dressed like this when did this start it was i think when they went public and he
3: started (laughs) flying around on the plane and and got because it wasn't he was still fairly normal Michael Hayes when he was Doc Hendricks when I was there in the late 90s. And then suddenly I see these fucking bright fluorescent yellow and orange things and the fucking pimp hats and the sleeves that are as long as goddamn straight jacket sleeves. And and he's gained And I'm not trying to savage poor Michael, but at his age, because he, he's my age. He should lose a little weight, too. I'm clocking in at 193 these days. That's his left leg. But anyway, I so I see the agents, the referees, the crew people, dignitaries in the WWF that we might recognize. I see them doing it, but it even the underneath guys, the preliminary guys, why not, right? But it just, it was a lot of them. And, and they don't have that. I didn't think they had that many wrestlers on Raw anymore to line the hallway that long. But anyway, so he got applied. He, he seemed really happy. First, he saw Shelton. My God, they've known each other since OVW. And then I think he liked to see killings and Nick Nemeth uh, or Dolph Ziegler and a couple of, and then other people he was just doing the parade wave for. But it, I mean, it, it, his mannerisms are so good and he's, he projects the humility and humbleness and then, Hey, how you doing? Oh, and I got you and hey, and there's a salute. And, but it, he was so, he was a returning, conquering hero. It's like he fucking signed the fucking treaty after the invasion of Normandy. And they should have put him in the Pope mobile coming down that hallway with Vince driving. I gave you the Pope and now I've given you Cena. Yeah, there you go, Travis. I did your work for you there on that one. So he comes in the back entranceway of the arena, coming through the backstage hallways, gets a huge standing ovation from the talent, goes around a corner, and we don't see him again for half an hour. So they were really teasing this thing. But what did you think about coming through with the talent and the whole nine yards?
2: I mean, I agree with all your points of why it's inappropriate for a wrestling show, especially one with baby faces and heels, when all of a sudden there are heels there, and everyone's just there acting like a child, but on the other hand, it's a show where everyone acts like a child. <laughs> Good point. So, it would almost be out of place for everyone to treat it serious, and, or anything else, and... I think it was important for them to get him out there right away because people were expecting him, and it also established there'll be more of him later on. Yeah, so it almost gave you a reason to try to sit through this show.
3: And that's you know uh, uh, when he comes through, and they're just they're just the idolatry of you know the whole thing. But I'm yes. telling you, Becky Lynch, go back and see Becky Lynch there. Okay. That was the only <laughs> thing
2: that stuck out to me.
3: Well, and then they they interspersed him a bit through the show. He. Bumped into private parties backstage pre or pri- private profits shit street profits private profits that's a private, good name the private profits <laughs> well goddammit, it they've all they both got the same gimmick both teams and there's too many p's in there the alliteration anyway the 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 private profits street party pre tape or the street profits pre tape or the private party profits pre tape. <laughs> He came into that and gave him a pep talk. And then they had comments from the stars, from Shawn Michaels, a big show. Even though he was on, he was on WWE television more this week than he was on AEW. Um, Big show, Booker T, Brian Danielson. Daniel Bryan, it's on Daniel the screen. Daniel Bryan, yeah. Trish Stratus, Triple H. Then they showed a scene of video. And this is where, Nobody does videos like the WWE. Their production. It's amazing. The career highlights, the make-a-wish highlights, meeting the troops, the mainstream TV appearances, the movies, that's a fucking star. Everybody, everywhere he went, it wasn't like, oh, here now we're going to bring out a wrestler. No, John Cena! They loved having him. That's a fucking star. And then, uh, did you see the backstage bump in with Ezekiel. You know, I actually missed that one. I did not see that. He had, there was Ezekiel and Cena, and Cena says, Oh, cause he's looking at him kind of sideways. Right. And Ezekiel's giving him the thing. Well, my, my brother Elias and I just loved you. And also now they have another brother Elrod. Did you hear about this? Are you serious? I'm serious. I did not now, hear about this. No, there's a third brother. Yeah, old old (laughs) Elykiel said, well, Elias is around here somewhere. I think he's taking a walk with my brother Elrod. But anyway, they did some business. And then Cena turns around and he's face-to-face with Theory. Boom. And I like this because it gave you a look at what a guy like Theory looks like in the environment of being nose to nose with a main event fucking guy that's really over, not like one they have on the roster these days. And it was and they gave theory all the words, all the verbiage, and he gave it to Cena and made fun of his fucking pants, told him, I'm the big deal around here now. He was good. They were nose to nose. He's two inches taller than John. Got same size arms and he and he's 20 years younger and he looks like he belongs and then the they they didn't they resisted the temptation that everybody including the folks on the other channel would have and this company used to have to embarrass a legend or embarrass the fucking young up and comer one of the other somebody always gets their fucking pants pulled down and spanked or whatever. But they got a perfect way out of this. Cena didn't say a word to him. He took the verbal browbeating, and as soon as Theory finished, he turned around like he's going to take a selfie of him making a face in front of John Cena, and Cena just gave him the and walked off and left him. So when Theory looks up at his phone, hey, what the fuck? He got disrespected, but not bad enough to bury him. So that was worth seeing that now it was like, what would theory look like in the attitude era when people were over? Now you got a chance to see it. And then they had more comments from angle and Orton and Bradshaw, Jericho, Stephanie, Austin. Um, another package with all of the make a wish kids. Well, not all of them, but many of them that he's, granted the wishes too, and he'd done more than any other. Did they say more than any other athlete, more than any other celebrity or I thought it was more than anyone else. More than, than anyone. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it's, it's possibly all of those. Um. So he, he ain't doing that just for publicity. He's got enough publicity. We just saw the fucking clips. It's a, you know, it's a thing he does that he obviously takes pride in. So, But did you notice how that was specifically placed, Brian? In what sense? In this sense. See, I'm telling you, we're dealing with a goddamn master manipulator here. He's a psychological genius, folks. He's a thoroughly dangerous man. I believe he's an undercover agent for the FBI. Sent down here to infiltrate the Ku Klux Klan. Vince McMahon, they play the video of Cena granting all the wishes to the Make-A-Wish kids and the heartwarming instrumentation of his theme music. And right out of that, here comes Vince. Boom, the music and the people, yay, it's Mr. McMahon. And here comes Vince McMahon in the ring. Perfect product placement. See that superstar that was so nice to all those kids. The one that I brought you. Well, here he is, and I'm going to introduce him. And besides rubbing the nose in, or the face in, of all the investigators and uh, people trying to move him aside or kick him out or whatever, besides that, he's there to say, look, again, I gave you this theme park that you people love, the WWE, this universe. I started all this, and now I brought back another one of the biggest stars you've ever loved. Boom! He gives Cena the Aretha Franklin fucking intro from Rest- What was it? WrestleMania three. It was three. WrestleMania three.
2: That was the yeah. best Vince has sounded on TV in a while, actually. Well, and that's he he he
3: brought it up for the occasion. The Queen of Soul, John Cena, and then here comes Cena again. Through now they bring the poor talent. I guess the the talent is probably parking cars doing the valet thing after the show also at the red carpet thing for Cena to walk down but the talent is lined the entranceway and here comes John huge pop the Cena chance it again it shows that nobody's over now and it is is what it does I mean I know they need to have the big star on television but god damn this isn't even close it's like it's like if suddenly, you know, Magic Johnson in his heyday came, you know, to a fucking high school basketball tournament and there's all the high school players applauding him as he comes down because he's seven feet tall and he's the greatest basketball player, blah, blah, blah. So, and Cena commands a microphone, he commands people's attention, he's natural. He could bring it up and take it down and-but the whole promo, which was a master class in self-deprecating babyface humbleness it, it he's more popular now than he was when he walked out there, and they could, they'd elected him probably mayor of that town at the start but you you people, I thank you, it's all about us and you. You've allowed me to do this for two decades. I've always wanted to say thank you. So, of course, then the loud thank you Cena chance. And I mean, he should run for office or he should be the fucking football coach for Notre Dame or something. Win one for the Cena. But here's the thing. This was a h- incredible not only performance of captivating public speaking, but also in humble baby and just making people like you and firing them up and getting them excited. You completely overlooked that he said absolutely nothing. There was no topic. He just said, thank you. They made it 20 years of John Cena. We had perhaps thought that this meant, well, shit, Vince is in trouble all hands on deck, they've thrown some money at him to come back and do something, but he came out, he said, right toward the end, I don't know when I'll be in the ring again, and everybody's like, mm-hmm. so I want to say this, and then he fires him up again with how thankful he is for them, puts him over again, and then fires him up for the big finish, and the people are happy as clams, and I bet they didn't even realize that he just came out and told them, yeah, I'm, I'm here right now, but I, I don't know when I'll be back, So it was brilliant. They got ratings through this whole show. I'm sure we're early here. I don't know if they're out yet. Maybe by the time we finish, but they definitely, it, it was more entertaining than the normal raw because this was somebody that we give a shit about, but there was no news to impart. Was there that
2: except he loves us. He really loves us. And he really wants to make sure he doesn't get hurt and screw up one of his acting gigs, because he's right now become a successful actor, making a lot of money with a very popular series. I think that's what he was saying. And I saw a quote recently from him. I don't know if it was a recent interview or when it was from. I thought it was somewhat recent, asking about criticisms he had had maybe a decade ago, whenever it was when The Rock came back, about how The Rock just abandoned wrestling and went Hollywood and how he sees it completely different now. (laughs) And I wonder if, thinking about all that, if he saw that, you know, this is a great opportunity for me to stay in touch with the fans, say that I'm not going to be here for a while, don't be mad at me for not being here, I will be back. I think they were saying one more match, and he said it'll be more than one. Yeah, More than one. So I think this was a, for him, it's a brilliant movie. It went on a little long for me. How many times can he say, it's us? It's not me, it's us. I, I, I jotted down, I think he said it seven times, I believe. How many ex-girlfriends wish he had said that? It's not about me, it's us. It's us. But anyway, I, I kid. But uh, it, was a, it was nice to see him, and he's a star. Uh, at the end, when he was jumping into the crowd and stuff, and they had the shot from behind, and you realize he's lost a lot of his hair, that was the first moment he looked his age. <laughs> but other than that, he looks like he's in great shape. He's slimmed down, obviously, because he's doing acting work. He can stay muscular, but you can't be as bulky. But it was nice to see him on the show. And in terms of as a human being, he's clearly one of the greatest human beings wrestling's ever had, just from all that Make-A-Wish stuff. Yeah. It's it's beyond commendable. It's fantastic that he goes out of his way for that stuff. I'm going to ask you a question, I think, that relates to it before we get to any of the AEW stuff. But those are my only thoughts. It was nice to see him on the show. He didn't really say much. The fans love him now more than ever before. There wasn't much of a John Cena sucks chant with his music like there used to be. <laughs> and next week, well, we're, back to no- and next week of, we're back to normal.
3: He made fun of that, too. He said, you, you tell me when you like me, and you've told me when I suck. And, you know, and that just makes me want to do better, or whatever he said.
2: Is that when you turned off Raw, after that? And What more was there to be seen? I don't remember what else was on the show, actually. They had Cody. Cody was interviewed in a gym. Well, shucks, maybe I'll have to go back and
3: revisit that.
2: Well, Jim, before we get to uh, anything else, like I said, there is a question. And since we're on the topic of John Cena, and this is timely, let me ask this question sent to through at, gmail jo- at Gmail.com from. Is Sa-
3: that like those jorts that
2: Cena wears, Gmail.com? It was sent to through at Gmail.com from Sahil in Toronto, Ontario. Wait a minute, he's a heel? Sahil. Oh, it's a heel. Well, here is Sahil's question. Did it ever make sense to turn Cena heel at some point in his career? Maybe around the time he destroyed the Nexus? Or after his loss to The Rock at WrestleMania 28, since that's when he was booed the loudest? Do you think he would have gained more popularity, or would it have hurt his character in the long run? Thank you for your time. And like I said before, when we talk about Make-A-Wish, I would ask a question that relates to that. From what I understand, one of the reasons, if not the only reason, or the main reason that John Cena never turned heel, was he didn't want to do all the make-a-wishes as a heel, and he didn't want to stop doing make-a-wish.
3: Yeah, well, and and that, but also, and I'm not going to pretend that I followed every bit of the WWE, WWF, all through John's career to know when the perfect time could have been, as he mentioned, cited a couple of examples to switch him heel, because I didn't pay that close attention, not just to John, to the whole company. A lot of those times I was elsewhere. But he was a heel as the prototype. He came into Ohio Valley Wrestling as a heel. He was a heel when he first got in the business. He'd had a handful of matches in California, I guess, before he came out here. But because he was a heel, because he had the, great body and he was well spoken and cocky. And I thought, honestly, this guy could be the next Rick Flair. He's got the physique, the voice, the the promo ability. He's a quick learner. He's I mean the the only way he wouldn't have been like Flair is in the personal bad habit uh, you know, category because John was Also, I mean, I'm not saying he's never drunk a beer, but he, you know, you you didn't have to worry John was going to have any bad out-of-the-ring habits that were either going to affect his work or cause newspaper headlines. But then when they brought him up and he was the young guy to come out and slap Angle in the face, I'm like, okay, I really enjoyed his promos as a heel but he's got the potential to be either one. So let's see how it plays out. Did you think they would bring him up as the prototype? Um, oh, Silly me. That was early on in the program. So I, I didn't know yet that they were going to change it. This was even before that they just had to change people's names just because Vince got up on the wrong side of the bed and wants to own everything. Some guys, obviously John Cena still got their names. I just thought, you know, it's, He works it. It's a good gimmick. He does the promo, whatever. I wasn't exactly filled with optimism when they brought him in as John Cena, the, you know, quiet spoken guy that's going to slap Kurt angle in the face. Well, let's see where this is going, but it wasn't going to go very far until Stephanie heard him rap. And that's where the doctor of thugonomics came in. And then I'm like, Oh God, the shorts 20 years later, he's still wearing the shorts, but he, in an alternate universe, John Cena would have been a cocky, robe wearing, long tight wearing, bumping, incredible promo heel that you pushed to the top and fed him baby faces because he would be there like a Ray Stevens in California, in my opinion. That's how good he was at that stage of the game. But once he got over with the rap and that was. Uh, 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 the culture current events you know the young people liked it etc and once that they realized that he was getting it over and they and he got fairly bulletproof because for the first year or so I was where you know like everybody else it the first year he was there he wasn't John Cena superstar he was John Cena guy from developmental we're pushing so it can always go south but once they realized how good he was and the shit started getting over and he got to be bulletproof. That's when you couldn't turn him to address the, the question, not only because of the make a wish, but just because of the, I mean, that was obviously, I think his prior main concern, but also with a guy like that, that they connected like that with, hustle loyalty respect everything that he'd built up the salute with the troops the whole nine yards they believe that because it's it's him and it's his shit and he wasn't scripted to say it told to say it told to do it assigned to the you know tribute to the troop show or whatever if you were to switch him heel he would obviously have to not necessarily renounce all that, but he wouldn't be still doing it. And it, it, when you get to a guy at that level, it's like when Austin turned heel and hugged Vince, then he became one of the boys and it killed the business because the people had allowed themselves to believe in, in him at least, in, in him telling Vince, fuck you, in don't trust anybody take this job and shove it, anti-authority, whatever. Even in wrestling of the late 1990s, the people allowed them, and especially the casual fans that had been brought in by Austin, his whole aura, right? And just the beer drinking and finger flipping and stunnering. They didn't know how wrestling worked back then, and they were predisposed to believe this guy because he looked real. And then once he hugged Vince McMahon, he wasn't real anymore. He was one of the boys. Now it it slapped him in the face that, wait a minute, they they tell him what to do also. And this is still entertainment. It's something that if, if Austin had been real in a real situation, that person wouldn't have done that. So it'd be the same thing. Even if Cena turned... Switched heel and had a run for 18 months and then switched back. You couldn't go back to the hustle and the loyalty and the respect and the, the salute and everything. You can, and it would be a reprise of it. It'd be kind of nostalgic, and people would kind of still get into it because they're programmed to, or that's a thing that they would get into. But they wouldn't really truly believe it of him anymore like they do because it's real. And I think that's, it, it, it would have damaged John and the connection he had with people if they'd have started playing with him and make made him one of the boys. With Brock, Brock doesn't really turn babyface or heel. Brock just switches people he fights. and And because of the, they know that he really is a fucking... Anti-social, anti-pretty much everything motherfucker just wants to beat people up and get paid, either in a working or a shooting way. The fans accept that with him. It doesn't damage him at all. Because that's who he is. But with I'm just saying, with some people or some talents, it hurts them. I mean, if they're not over, it doesn't hurt them. Do anything with them. See if something sticks. But if a guy's really over. You can make a fucking mistake.
2: I think part of the thinking that a lot of fans had was that Cena, despite being their biggest merch mover, and a lot of people, especially back when the chance or not the chance, but when the the thought of Cena turning heel became a popular thought, really weren't thinking about Make-A-Wish. Like, no one realized what a priority that was, as it should be. And... I think But the, closest... the, the merchandise was huge, too. I mean, seven figures. But And the closest comparison was always Hogan. Hogan turning heel and that freshening up and almost creating a brand new Hogan. The only difference there is, while the TV may have been shit for the most part, WWE's business was strong with Cena as the babyface still. If business had dropped off, you could see them maybe pushing for a heel change, completely right. dropped off. With Hogan... His act had gotten stale. Yeah. In 93, he wasn't the same guy he was in 83. He wasn't as big either. And by 93, I think a lot of people were sick of him. By 95, everyone was sick of him. And then he had to turn heel. Otherwise, I don't know what it would have been. The argument with Cena, and I can go both ways, is if he had turned heel 10 years ago, would it have freshened up his character? Or five? Well, five years ago is too soon. 10 years ago. Would it have been a new run? Heels are popular. Would he have sold as much merch? Would he have still been able to do the Make-A-Wish stuff? And would it have helped the show? A heel John Cena doing promos? That's always been the argument, but the Hogan comparison's a rough one just because of the differences between the two. Well,
3: that's the thing. There's more of a comparison to Cena and Austin than there is to Cena and Hogan because Hogan got over in sports entertainment anyway. Hogan was a Larger than life superhero, which is another way of saying not real did did anybody who even loved Hulk Hogan as a child think he was a real person? He was not even presented in that fashion and so you, you i mean i'm I'm not saying that Hogan wasn't over like Cena or Austin. I'm saying it didn't it it, it like you said, not only didn't damage Hogan. To switch heel, but freshened him up because the people didn't believe in Hogan as a person; they believed in Hogan as a gimmick. They didn't. I don't think. I mean, maybe if they were
2: eight years old, I think or it's whatever. a great way to put it. Actually, that's a fantastic way to put it.
3: Yeah, you know, it's they really think that Steve Austin was the guy who, because it was so close, right? And Flair, Flair could switch babyface. And it didn't hurt him because the people did it for him first because they believed who he was. But he was so cool, limousine riding, jet flying, blah blah blah. And 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 he was the dirtiest player in the game. He was a heel first. But again, when when baby faces get the Von Ericks to a a different cause but same result they lost faith in the Von Erichs in Dallas and it killed the entire wrestling business. Not because they switched heel on the show, but because they switched heel in a newspaper. Cause you yeah. know, it, drugs and issues, fake cousins, fake cousins. As they, they became the more you believe in a hero. When you find out they're really not that the more let down you are. You can't be let down by a heel. He's a fucking crooked criminal prick anyway. But you believed in your hero, and then he turned out to be phony. That's what kills a territory. That's what kills a talent. That's what kills the momentum. Or in the case of Austin Huggin' McMahon, the entire fucking wrestling business! So you agree with Cena not turning heel? Yes because he was still selling merchandise and the, the people were coming to the house shows to bring their kids to see him. People were coming to TV and pay-per-views because they were more dedicated fans to boo him, but they were all paying to get in and he was selling the merchandise and it, it would have damaged the long run. If he would turned heel 10 years ago, He might not be the icon now that he is today where they can bring him back after 20 years and he can say nothing to the fans and it's the best segment of the show.
2: Well, seeing Cena on there, I was surprised, too, because you know how busy he is. He's doing all these different things and he's all around the world. However, he looked well rested. Do you think he's getting a good night's sleep? You know, it's amazing. He and The Rock,
3: John Cena and The Rock both are so personally driven. They've got all that energy and it's it's just it's amazing that they even have time to sleep, and I don't know how in the world that they manage to decompress and after the red carpets and the spotlights and the press and the media and the paparazzi, they just can't lay down in a hammock or just curl up in the easy chair. they got to have something that really is conducive, Brian is conducive, I say to a good night's sleep, and then I realized. That was me slapping myself on the head. I realized, God damn, that hurt me. Oh, I hit myself too hard. You know, was I that the prototype? Was that the prototype going in reverse there? Yeah, no, that was me having a small stroke. I've given <laughs> myself an aneurysm. I realized they must have been early on the Helix Sleep mattresses. They jumped in. Rock and Cena both jumped in at the get-go on these Helix Sleep mattresses. That's why they sleep so well, folks. They're awesome, but you do not need to take my word for it. You don't even need to take the words of John Cena or The Rock for it about how great Helix mattresses are if they ever mentioned that in any way, shape, or form, which to my knowledge they have not. Because Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ Magazine. And you know, those golfers, they like to get their sleep. If golf quarterly. It's not golf quarterly. If- it's not GQ. No GQ golf quarterly. No GQ. The... Well, they, well, they wear funny little fucking outfits on the cover that like they do. golfers do. Well, they were voted the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ magazine and also by wired magazine, wired magazine. You know, a mattress is good and helps you get a good night's sleep. If a magazine geared toward cocaine fiends and meth addicts tells you that it's the best mattress pick of the year i'll tell you what wired magazine
2: says it what that's not why i mean you would think based on the name of it but no wired magazine has nothing to do with people who are actually in the state of being wired no wired oh so false advertising Well, never
3: then don't mind that they picked Helix number one. They're obviously not a trustworthy source, but sooner or later, even a blind squirrel will find a nut. However, you'll get a nut on Helix Sleep Mattress if you just give it a try, folks. You just go to helixsleep.com slash J-C-E. By the way, that's H-E-L-I-X, helixsleep.com slash J-C-E and take the two-minute sleep quiz. And they'll ask you things like, do you like sleep on your side or on your back or reverse cowgirl or how? what position do you like to get that nut in? Those or whatever are not, Those case? are not the questions that they ask. No, no, no. It's some of those sleep. questions may or may not be on the yeah, questionnaire. But yeah. it only takes two minutes to, to answer these questions, folks. And just remember, there is a penalty for perjury. And they're going to match you to a <laughs> customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life, folks. They got a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. I encourage you, take this mattress, do everything to it, and do everything on it with everybody. Have the the neighbors come over. Everybody get naked. Get some whipped cream and chocolate syrup. After 100 nights, if you don't like this mattress, they will pick it up for you and give you your money back. And I want to see the look on those people's faces. When they see all that DNA all over that mattress. But the thing is, chances are you're not going to call them because you're going to love it. They've even got financing options and flexible payment plans. So a great night's sleep is never far away. The payment plans as flexible as the young lady that you can introduce to this mattress as soon as you have a home and a mattress and a bed, and furniture, and a job so you can get a date to bring the girl over to nail her on the Helix mattress. Will you stop it? It's helixsleep.com slash JCE because you're going to get up to $200 off. That'll take care of that young lady right there. Up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Up to $200 off and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash JCE you will sleep the sleep of the blissful. And you know what they say. If ignorance is bliss, I'm sure most of you people are ecstatic.
2: That's right, Helix Sleep, and you brought up Golf Quarterly, although that's not GQ earlier. You know, when I was in high school, when I was in like 11th grade, one of the kids was trying to mess with me in like social studies class. No. Well, yeah, I mean, so I'm on like one side of my friends and he's on one side with his friend, and he said... You know, Brian, the only reason you like wrestling is you like to see young men in tight clothes. And I said, the only reason you like golf is you like to see old men in tight clothes. And that <laughs> shut him the fuck down.
3: Golf is, but have you heard, you, you're watching the George Carlin documentary, right? I finished it. Oh, I finished it. Finish I loved it? it. I loved it. I always loved the piece on golf. Yeah, you bunch of rich, white, old fucks taking up all that. That's where we ought to put the homeless people. Good acreage going to waste for a bunch of rich old white fucks to knock a little ball around. The
2: documentary, yeah. the bad thing about the documentary is every time they show you a clip of one of his specials, you want to stop and go watch the entire special.
3: Yeah, the, the whole thing. <laughs> I got the box
2: set. Oh, really? When so
4: did you I'm get that? Fixed.
3: All, all my stuff wow. is the box set of all the Carlin HBO specials and a bunch of extras and all that type of thing in the DVD box set.
2: Yeah, I got to check to see what's available on HBO now, uh, or HBO Max, because I have that here. But, Jim, let's talk about wrestling to the max. (sighs) The dream of many people around the world has been the idea of a New Japan-AEW crossover event and it happened this past weekend in Chicago. Wait
3: a a minute. Has there been a sudden outbreak of tomaine or salmonella that people are having nightmares in in feverish induced
2: hallucinations well you know different people ingest different things but for a lot of people this was a big deal for some other people who are only AEW fans they couldn't understand why all of a sudden this took over the show but the (laughs) pay-per-view event was this past weekend in Chicago AEW Forbidden Door
3: oh boy howdy and first off you asked me what did you see those opening matches and I said no because I got the pay-per-view that I purchased when it when it came up on my television guide and I said, buy this, record this, started with the Jericho six-man tag team fiasco. There were apparently several more matches before that. I found out later after the fact that the countdown show that usually is just like a half-hour thing, and I guess that's for the WWE pay-per-views where they just show what we used to call the Barker channel where they just have clips to promote the matches and et cetera. Instead they gave us an hour on AEW and there was like four matches on that. I did not see that, that program that was listed as countdown. And I found out about it afterwards when you said there were more matches, but I'd seen enough matches already, but apparently for the people in that building, they saw 5 solid hours of just mayhem matches that just on and on over and over without stopping doing the same basic things and how the fuck why why does a show need to have 12 or 13 matches and go 5 hours when they, it's not wrestlemania but one match was, who, it was, who, did, Lance Archer had a single match with somebody, and then they Nick had Nick Camarado. A, Camarado, who we haven't even seen on television in two years. When he used to hang around with Solo and a go-go. Well, they were on the show, well, Solo and QT were on the pre-show, too. Well, that and that's another thing, there was a, a, a eight-man with the guns and caster against Four guys, I swear to God, they looked like guys in their first
2: day of wrestling school. Where did they find those guys from? Well, no, those guys are from the New Japan Dojo. Oh, Jesus Christ. They're so trainees. they are in
3: wrestling school.
2: They're trainees.
3: And they put that in front of 16,000 people and broadcast it such as it was on the Countdown program. Why do that? As a, In Ring of Honor. And I tried to put an end to it whenever possible but it was an ingrained part of the 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 culture there that you should have pre-show matches involving your trainees and or greenest guys. I said, why would we want to open the show with that? Well, no, it's not opening the show. It's pre-show. What? <laughs> it's pre-show. If bell time is 8 o'clock, we send those guys out at 7.15 while the people are getting in their seats. They're watching these two or three pre-show matches and then we start the show i said if you're in the building that you're going to be in for the show and they're using the ring you're going to use for the show and they're in front of the people that have bought tickets and have come in the building to see the show they're part of the fucking show and we don't need to put a guy that's been in wrestling school for three weeks on the opening match at the Hammerstein Ballroom. That's just me. Anyway, so we're gonna start with the pay-per-view. Well, we can't start with the stuff you didn't watch. <laughs> well, why not? it be I can I can describe it for you because everything looks the same now. Um, let me for a moment congratulate them in some respect on the announced situation the announcer situation on this pay-per-view because they brought Kevin Kelly in who knows more about new Japan pro wrestling than any other announcer since he announces for new Japan pro wrestling and he actually has not only experience, but talent for it. And when they started with Taz, Kevin Kelly and excrement we had two thirds of a brilliant announced team or a brilliant announced team with a third wheel,
2: whichever way you want to look at it. That was the most bearable. The commentators were pretty much the entire night.
3: Yeah, because it was a knowledgeable announcer. Who's also an announcer instead of a knowledgeable basement Mark with a fucking women's girdle on his face that fantasizes that he was once a wrestler and sounds like the fucking federal express commercial guy. All the people over 35 will fucking die laughing at that. And and then they brought in Caprice for the Ring of Honor segment. And then then by the end of the... I guess JR said, fuck you. I'm not going to be out there for four hours. But he was out there by the end of it. They have good announcers. There's just usually either too many of them at one time. Or Sockface is in the mix and drags the whole kit and caboodle down. But we did have some good announcing that actually imparted some information we might need to know, especially since, again, a lot of these fucking guys, you would need to check their FBI file to have any idea who these people are. They must have put pictures up to the back door so the security would let them in.
2: Well, the good thing is Kevin Kelly knew who everyone was. He classed up the joint, I thought. Yeah. Doing the commentary on this show. You know, when um I think it was 84, Gordon Soly started doing Memphis wrestling with Lance Russell. Yes. And a part of the pro
3: wrestling USA thing when they were all going to work together against Vince.
2: Unfortunately, no one in Memphis said, I really want more Gordon Soley. They wanted Dave Brown back. They wanted their guys. Yeah. Compared to the AEW, every time one of these guys, Ian Riccoboni, Caprice Coleman, Kevin Kelly. CM Punk, I'm going to throw in there. Every time one of these guys sits in on commentary, your first thought is, I wish they were there every week. (laughs) Not I wish I can go back to my guys, my commentators. No, I wish this guy was there and one of those guys was gone. And it's all three of them. We've said it before. Shivani adds nothing. He just yells how great things are. Laughs through things. Excalibur is not my kind of lead commentator, and I actually think he hurts the product. And I know I may be in the minority on that, but I also don't like a lot of the stuff they do. And Jim Ross just does not want to fucking be there. He just wants, I I can't say why he wants to be there, but Jim Ross is miserable on commentary. And again, every time you hear someone else sit in that booth, the first thought you have is, I wish they were there, not I wish I can go back to my guys. Well, let's go to the
3: ring and see who we wish was in the match instead of the people we got. because the. The opening match on the pay-per-view of itself that it was presented to me was the six-man with Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Minoru Suzuki, the Japanese Fabergé egg, against Eddie Kingston, Wheeler Useless, and Shota Umino. And again, this is the first match on the, the big show, the main show. Jericho's the most popular heel in wrestling history. He comes out, they play the music, the people sing for the music. Sammy Guevara was a babyface that suddenly became so unpopular, he was looking for people with switchblades and torches because he was just such a smarmy face little prick, him and, and his girlfriend, Bitchface. They were such heat-getting, machines that they switched him heel and now they've teamed him back up with jericho who's the heel that they cheer more than any other. so they will cheer now that sammy's a heel they'll cheer him when he was a baby face they were booing the shit out of him i mean this is an aew match they start out for a minute yuda gave jericho eight or ten german suplexes in a row and then all six guys jumped in And spilled out to the floor, and the whole match fell apart in the first minute and a half. Then suddenly they settled down again and started having a match again. Does Wheeler Yuta remind you of Taka Michinoku?
2: No. Why not? Are you just saying because of the body type, or what would remind you of Taka Michinoku? I'm saying an excellent, physically adept
3: wrestler who can do all the moves. And who has no physique, no facial expressions, no particular charisma or main event look, but to hardcore fans are going to go nuts for him to begin with. And it is the same thing that happened with Taka 25 years ago. It was just, you know, <clears throat> so he's been shoehorned into this thing because somebody there up there likes him. John Moxley. Well, probably. (laughs) Nick Gage, now John Mox, or now Wheeler or whatever. Anyway, in this match, the heels and the babyfaces work the same. They just trade off doing shit to each other. And there's no cheating on one side or science shown on the other side. Kingston and Suzuki stand there and let each other hit them over and over on purpose. It's the same thing. I like Eddie Kingston. I liked him when he was almost a position where he could have drawn him some money when he was the sympathetic babyface to the people after the Players Club or Players Tribune or whatever article with all of his tribulations getting the wrestling business. And if they'd have kept him from his worst instincts being a mark for this Japanese strong-style bullshit and let him work like an underneath babyface with a shitty physique sell and then make a big comeback and bleed some he could have been a top babyface for him instead he's doing this shit with these fucking broke down past their prime japanese guys that ain't taking us very seriously to begin with That where they're going to get hurt or anything and it's the shits and minoru suzuki is like if a mannequin could do wrestling moves I'm not saying he's not a mixed martial arts legend or a badass shooter. I'm saying he looks visually ridiculous to anybody who doesn't know that and he can't bend any of his fucking body parts. And when Kingston throws chops or forearms that Suzuki can't sell or snap his head for, they just look fake. And then they
2: well, did a spot in this match. Go ahead. Let me Go just ahead. say, because I'm an Eddie Kingston fan, and I actually think the biggest weakness in Eddie Kingston's game, unfortunately, is his in-ring in situations like this. The chops Eddie Kingston was delivering. You know, I wasn't a big fan of the chop in general, but Kenta Kibachi knew how to make it look like he was really killing the guy. Eddie Kingston's chops did not look like that, and he's copying someone else Especially doing it. Especially when they get in the corner
3: and do the thing where they're doing the That's what I'm talking about rapid-fire chops with the right hand while they're slapping their leg with the left. What the fuck? That's stupid. That's exactly what I was talking about. Some Japanese guy does that, right? That was what Kenta Kabashi did. Okay, very good. Some Japanese guy. At the what end. is it? Fucking stupid. It looks phony. But it looks phony to throw forearms and and chops if you're just standing there daring a guy to do it anyway. It's just bullshit. And then they did a spot in this match where all three of the heels got all three of the babyfaces in submission holes at the same time. For I would think the first time in the history of wrestling ever, over the last 140 years or whatever, the heels got the babyfaces in submission holes. They just took the old spot and did it backwards. Uh, They gave an iceberg tag to Omino, who did an okay comeback. I'm waiting for some of these new guys to really tickle my taint. Everybody did goofy dives. It's the first match. I'm right. Leave anything for somebody else. Everybody did a big move to each other. And the people in the arena, that's the thing about the AEW fans. They don't come to see anything make sense or for the shit not to look fake or for the anybody to win. They don't want their hero to win and the villain to lose. They just want to see people take goofy bumps and nearly break their necks and cheer for those. And they do it over and over. And more tags in and out, guys disappear for long stretches at a time while two guys will do something in the ring, and then they'll have a prolonged six-way. And then finally, uh, Ty Conti hits Umino in the back with a baseball bat, and Umino staggered around in a contrived fashion and then immediately hit three moves on Jericho and got a two-count. So, fuck, say what you want about this guy, but he's pretty badass. He can fucking hit three things on Jericho instantly after being hit with a baseball bat. Well, baseball's not big in Brazil. She may not know what she's doing. Well, that's true. She didn't swing it properly. And then they did a prolonged five-way because Yuda's gone somewhere. I'm not sure where. And then Jericho hit the Judas on Umino or Domino. Oh, Umino, Rocky, the
2: Ramon, where? Oh, my Umino, there you go. It's a bad idea, Rocky. Don't do it. It's not going to get played. I never have bad ideas. Well, no one wants a song about Umino after one match on the show. That's a bad idea. (laughs) 27 minutes into the show, and that was the match that was over with at that point. You know, Umino's a young star over there, and he's someone they want to do something with, it appears. And he looked pretty good in this match. And before the match, they showed video, or I think it was before the match, of Jericho years ago in Japan giving him the Boston Crab on the floor, and I think, in the Tokyo Dome. Yes. So I'm thinking, all right, it's been years. I've been following the back and forth, if there's been any. He's going to get his comeback over Jericho here. No, Jericho beats him. Jericho beats him, and the well, guy goes back to Well, I can't argue with that, because in, if you're doing a
3: co-promotion... With another promotion, especially a promotion that's located ten thousand miles away, you need to win. Your company needs to win seventy-five percent or so. If you have four, you take three; they get one. Or let's see what the fuck. But that wouldn't have been a place for Shota Unno
2: to beat Chris Jericho. And you know the other problem too is we called it whenever we previewed the pay per view. We called it that there'll be some spot with Suzuki and Eddie Kingston just chopping each other. And I could understand the AEW argument, if this were it, that, well, you do that because that's what people expect to see. You got to give them what they came to see. But on the other hand, I called it because it's obvious that's exactly what they're going to fucking do. And then they do it. And it's the same spot that almost every show they do has multiple matches with that spot. Where all of a sudden the two guys just stand there and trade the forearms or the chops or the slaps, whatever it is. It means nothing. And there's, you said this kind of early on, and it's not just about this match. There's too much shit you could just call right away. And I don't understand the fans that still get excited about it. When you have a six-man match, and again, I'm not talking about this one, and one guy goes to the floor, and then one guy dives on him, and then one after another, each person ends up in the ring right after the previous person dived. I can understand really loving that the first time. Maybe the second time someone did the space-flying tiger drop. But after a while, when you've seen it in so many matches, it's stupid. And I think there's too much stupid for me. So there's a lot of stuff like Suzuki, who I've liked in the past. But his modern stuff, there's a lot of stuff that people love because they love him. But I think if you objectively looked at it, you'd realize it may not be that great right now. Because basically, I'm
3: market research here. I'm seeing these guys for one of the very first times if not the very first time and i'm okay impress me and and i think a lot of the these guys i don't expect them the underneath guys whatever old take a shit's been the best best looking one and he's wrestled women and sex dolls so i can't like him um and children but the top guys from new japan you can tell are coming and they're working the match and they'll do a couple of their trademark things and they're getting by, but they're not risking getting hurt because nobody's, as I mentioned on a show we did here recently, nobody's going out of their way to look like the first time you ever saw Sayama or the first time you ever saw Fujinami or the first time you ever saw
2: Jumbo or whatever the case. And fuck it in America. The first time you saw Akira Nogami, it was like, wow, who's this guy? (laughs) And now just everyone has a fucking bouffant a bouffant that is a word
3: that is not used often enough in modern society bouffant okay well the next match for example for both the ring of honor and new Japan pro wrestling tag team titles it's got to be a three-way of course we can't I would have loved to see FTR well I would say against either one of these two teams but Trent and Rocky Romero (sighs) okay I assume, I understand, it's been relayed that they work together in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Trent has been presented as a fucking comedy goof with other people, and Rocky Romero, serious wrestler though he may may be since he's come into this company and made appearances, hadn't exactly set the world on fire.
2: He's also, he's also in the office for them, isn't he?
3: I don't have any. What? For New Rocky Japan. Romero? Yeah. Oh, for New Japan. I thought you meant for AEW. But why do this? Why poison Rocky by putting him together with Trent when we already know where Trent's pigeonholed? And, it just, and then also, I know at least it ain't Chucklefuck, old Muffin Top Taylor. But they've got to work with Grado Khan and Jeff Cobb. Jeff Cobb looks like a star we said that when he came in and lost his first match last year
4: Not Grado two, two Khan, years ago
3: two years ago Grado Khan looks like apparently what he is a fucking Fat Killer con cosplayer so FTR had to deal with a team of underneath guys and a team that we don't know who the fuck they are and uh, And this was snake bit. Do we know if Dax, was that a spot or was that a legitimate shoulder separation that he
2: managed to get popped back in and get back out there? I'm not exactly sure, but if it was, if it was an injury, they covered it up perfectly because you couldn't tell.
3: Well, if it, well, let me say it uh, like this. If it wasn't an injury, they did it perfectly because you couldn't tell. If it was an injury. They also did it pretty well. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, when he dropped that elbow and I watched it in slow motion a couple of times, that's either the greatest sell job in the world or he said, Oh, I have fucked myself up. And anyway, it was a it ended up being a great spot that he came back taped up, and we'll talk about who too many pronouns, pal. We'll talk about this in a second. But at the same time. It ruined the rest of the match that Dax wasn't in. What happened was Trent and Dax start, and they did more and better wrestling in the first thirty seconds than we saw in the previous match entirely and Then, as soon as Dax goes to do the drop toe hold elbow and he drops the elbow, boom, he hits hard with that elbow drop, and he, oh and he grabs the other shoulder and I'm and he rolls immediately out, and Cash looks shocked too. So the doctor comes over to check on him and they take him to the back. And I'm thinking this was legitimate and I wrote at this point, so the only thing that I want to see about this match is fucked. And then Grado and Cobb got heat on cash and the match both slowed down and got more indie style. As I said, Cobb is impressive. Grado, meh. Trent came in to absolutely no reaction and did a bunch of stuff. And I at that point, I said, fuck it, I'm going to find the finish. Because without both members of FTR, this turned into the same match that every other match has. And as I'm hitting the fast forward, it's starting to go. And I see Dax coming back taped up, Spirit of 76. And Cash gives him the tag. And the people pop. And see, this. even if it actually would have made the match better to have him in the whole way. And even though honestly I think this was a shoot injury that he managed to return from, goddamn, the spot worked great because the people are so into FTR now because they are the best team in the world. People are starting to figure it out. So Dax makes the comeback. Cobb and Grado have no idea how to feed a fucking baby face for a comeback. It was brutal. Not only were they not bumping, but they weren't even feeding. I don't think they know how. It looked like they were confused. Then everybody fought everybody because it's a three-way and you couldn't follow it. It's just pops on bumps. FTR disappeared again for a while. And in this match, they had their window to go, where when Dax came back and the big fucking pop and the comeback, which, eh, and then they did some shit. Then they just kept going <laughs> and it started going down the other side of the hill. They did a big false finish on Cobb and cash made the save. And then Romero got in a deal with Dax and he rolled him up and the referee went down and counted one and then counted two. I mean, one and then one, two, because somehow the shoulder wasn't up, but the people booed cause they couldn't, Figure out what happened, it looked like a three count, and if, referees, if you're ever find yourself in that situation, if you can see that the shoulder when you count one and the guy's shoulder inadvertently comes up or whatever, and you hold up and they get it back down, and then you start the count again, don't just start the count again when you make the one count and you see you're going to have to start again when you raise your arm. Wave it in the air. Wave your one finger like, no, no, no. Like your mother's waving her finger at you. No, no, no. You can't have that fucking candy. And then start again, and the people in the arena will get it. Anyway, so finally after that, FTR just hit the big rig on Rocky out of nowhere. One, two, three. And now they're the double champions. Thank goodness. Because we were afraid something else may happen. This could have been worse. I would have liked to have seen Dax in it the whole way, but I loved the spot, whether it was a work or a shoot. Your thoughts?
2: Everything FTR does right now is just great, and look at what's happened. They're now the most popular tag team there. Their pops? Well, listen to the pop when they won. The pops for them are as big as any of the pops the Young Bucks have ever gotten in AEW. Now let's see how this all gets screwed up. That's what I'm afraid of. I hope Dax isn't seriously injured. But it was the FTR show. Jeff Cobb looks great i'm not so sure about his opponent a lot of fans who like the ironic nature of wrestling really like the great okan punky vice have never done it for me trent you know he's one of these guys that needs to go away in my eyes he's been there he, since the beginning and rocky he's, doesn't he's a much good
3: worker me. he's a good worker if we hadn't seen him in shit from the beginning then there might be something but now it's just please too much and his mother with the van
2: You know, the idea of Rapungi Vice staying around and having more matches in the tag team division, I don't want it. It's like, you know, the fucking Bushwhackers returning in 95. (laughs) I just want new teams. I want to see more Hobbs and Starks. I want to see more the acclaimed. I don't want to see any more of these people. But anyway, the FTR are great.
3: Did you hear Juice Robinson and Sling Blade White do a backstage
2: promo? That was the first time I've ever heard Juice Robinson talk, yes. Me too. Oh boy. You know, I liked it it was different
3: it's different but it looks to me everybody has the the same kind of hair and beard and pulled back in a bun or a ponytail and they're kind of lean and they're not particularly physically impressive and they all talk like at the fan fest where they have a camera set up and fans get to go and do wrestling promos <sighs> Anyway, you know what was next, don't you? For the A&P Championship. A&P? The Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company Championship. No, No, it's only Atlantic. Pacific is not represented with this title. You know, a lot of people don't know that when you used to go down to shop at the A&P, that stood for the Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company. Well, this was a four-way match. Was Clark Connors always
2: advertised in this thing? No, it was Clark Connors versus Tomohiro Ishii, and Ishii won, but he got injured, so Connors took the place of the man who beat him to be in the match.
3: So we didn't get to see Tomohiro Ishii. That's a shame. But now we know Clark Connors is the rifleman. Cowboy hat, buckskin vest, all he needed was the rifle and little mark alongside of him. Clark Connors versus Pack versus Malachi Black versus Miro. And it's a four way match, so it's not going to be any good anyway. We know Malachi Black is bleh. Pack is iffy at best. Miro is great, but did I mention it's a four way? But I had to watch a minute of this to see what the fuck Clark Connors looks like, right? Is he any good? So they ring the bell, and immediately, Black and Pack black and pack go to the floor and Miro beats the piss out of Clark Connors and no sells all of his shit. And the announcers are saying that this is the biggest match. This is the biggest match of Clark Connors, career. So I'm now assuming by the fact he's getting a shit kicked out of him. And the announcers are even saying he's an underdog that he's a fucking preliminary guy. And I'm over this. So, I would watch Miro beat up any one of these other fucking stooges, but not all together. I'm skipping ahead. I did see, did you see Malachi? If you watch this, Malachi Black took so long to set up a table on the floor, leaned up against the guardrail or whatever. He could have built one quicker than it took him to place this thing so that they could throw somebody through it. But Malachi Black had Clark Connors, the whipping boy. And he had him in his fucking deal, but Pac came off the top and splashed Malachi Black and then grabbed Clark and tapped him out. So I wonder if old Tomahiro Ishii would have just got the shit kicked out of him and done the job too, if he'd have been in it.
2: What'd you think of this one? I went to the bathroom. Malachi Black, <laughs> four-way, I'm going to the bathroom. I'm done. I can go get something to eat. I can go walk the dog. I can go smoke a joint, anything but watch this. And as soon as I saw him sitting there in the dark with his spooky music and the tree branches on his head, I knew it was time to leave. Well, I figured I was going to have plenty of time to piss coming up
3: next. So I didn't leave until next. The Hardly Boys and El Phantasmo with Hickalula Against Darby Allen, Sting, and Shingo Takagi. And this is the one that we couldn't figure out. Originally, it was a tag match. But then Darby... No, it was. It was originally a tag match, right? I thought it was a four-way match. No, it was a tag match. But then Darby, on that promo that we couldn't figure out when he just blurted out a bunch of names, made it an eight-man. That's why old Hickalula was there but somebody from the japanese end of things couldn't got sick and couldn't come along with shingo so then it became a so it went from a tag to an eight man now to a six man so everything's just running on all cylinders do they call it a trios match in japan i've i've never heard that when uh i was watching japanese tapes but who knows anymore i mean japan japanese wrestling has gone to shit in the same fashion as american wrestling it's not the same as it used to be it's just they don't do everything stupid we do but anyway in this one if you watched the first minute you were you were satisfied because you got to see sting jump off the fucking entrance tunnel Sting doesn't come out on his entrance. They play the music. He's nowhere to be seen. Then the Hardleys come out. Then there's a blackout. Then you see Sting on the catwalk. Then there's another blackout. And then the lights come back on again, and Sting's on the top of the entrance tunnel and dives off onto all four heels, who catch him but not quite, because he went over sideways. It could have been a little worse. So... (laughs) I don't know what Tony's paying him. Goddamn, he's trying to prove something. But they have a seven-way fight on the ramp where Darby is wailing on people with a skateboard and Phantasmo looks like a guy that sells lottery tickets at the Shell Station on the corner. And I said, if they've just done a dive off the tunnel, a seven-way on the ramp, bashing people's brains in with a skateboard, and the match hasn't even started yet, I, no, no way. So apparently Takagi beat Phantasmo. Did you have any uh, thoughts on this exercise in futility?
2: No, not my uh, style of match. And like I said before, there's too many ma- these matches where you can predict every spot, where you can predict what's going to happen next. And a lot of those matches are the Bucks matches because they do a lot of the similar things all the time. But, uh, you know, for the fans there, it seemed like by the end of it, they picked up. They really weren't that into it early on, it didn't seem. Well, now
3: we're, we're already, we're through four matches, four multi-man matches with furniture and dives and chaos and etc. And they got plenty more to go. Are you surprised they didn't use any auto parts in any of these matches? Well, you know, I am, I am because that's a problem. Now let's say, for example, that you're driving down the road, feeling hungry and cold. You thought you'd, you'd find some food and drink somewhere. And you pull into a goddamn parking lot of a restaurant. You think you're going to get filled up. And what do you find? You find that while you're in that restaurant, while you're in that choke and puke on the side of the road, the greasy spoon, somebody has taken a baked potato and shoved it up the tailpipe of your 69 Chevy. And while then, as soon as you start it up and you're headed down the road, that thing's going to blow up like a meth lab. And then what are you going to do? You're not going to know what to do. You're going to be sitting on the side of the road, broke, busted, and disgusted, dicked by the dangled dong of destiny until you realize that if you need a brand new tailpipe because yours is clogged up, and after all, we don't want any blockages in people's tailpipes, all you got to do, folks, is log on, as the kids say, to rockauto.com. You don't give them a call anymore. That's retro. And they won't answer the phone anyway. They're sitting by their computers. As a matter of fact, we've talked about the fact that rockauto.com has parts cheaper than the brick-and-mortar stores. And also, they stock many more parts than it's possible for these brick-and-mortar stores to stock. How do they do that, you ask? It's very simple. There's a multi-billionaire behind rockauto.com, and he has taken an entire... Island in the South Pacific, and he has built a location there where there's no bricks and there's no mortar. It took him years to do it. It's all glass and plastic, and a, and a and a little a little fiberglass. And
2: none this, of this is that, true, ladies and
3: gentlemen. No, it, you you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't why, not believe it. why not stucco? Why not stucco? Because that's related to mortar. Oh, I guess so. No brick and mortar. Yeah, I guess just you're right. fiberglass, plastic, and and glass and every once in a while there's some tin and some aluminum foil <laughs> but anyway they've built this tropical oasis with every part for every car that's ever been manufactured and all you got to do is log on to rockauto.com and you and they will instantly find that part and they here's the thing about cuz they live in a glass and plastic house they can't throw the parts so they've hired extra people to hand the parts from one hand to another, all the way to the shipping department, and they send it right to your door at your home or your office or your girlfriend's place or that girl that every once in a while you just drop by because you know she's easy and you're running late. They will ship it wherever you want it shipped. That's right. that's what I'm saying. I'm illustrating all the various places. And then you'll have it. And you can take that tailpipe and shove it right up the end of that 69 Chevy, and you'll be farting through silk. And your car will be purring like a kitten. But if that's the case, then you need to look under the hood because the chances are that a cat has gone to sleep on your radiator. And God, there's no telling what if you you can't drive too far because you cannot drive a car with hot pussy in it. No, 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 that's dangerous. So anyway, when you go to RockAuto.com, folks, and get the car part or truck part or motorcycle part or fucking Velocipede, whatever uh, that you need a part for, then all you got to do is write JCE in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they'll know you're part of the private club that we all belong to, the Cult of Cornet. We get uh, special treatment around there. Somebody will probably put an extra free decal or possibly even a toothpick in your in your box of parts before they send it out. No, they won't.
2: You don't get a free toothpick? You don't get anything that you did not order from rockauto.com, especially things that came out of one of the workers' mouths, no. Can you get anything to go up your own tailpipe? I think you're thinking of a different website, and I don't know Ah. what that website would be because I don't explore that world that you're talking about. However- Yeah, well, they banned you. (laughs) However, rockauto.com is a great place for parts for your car. All the parts your car would ever need. Yes, amazing selection,
3: reliably low prices, direct from the South Sea Islands. All the parts your car will ever need. Plastic, fiberglass, and glass. No brick, no mortar. Rockauto.com. Well, are you ready for the big fifth event on this pro? We're we're starting to get to the meat of the matter here. We're about halfway through. Uh, for the AEW Women's Championship, Tony Storm against Thunder Rosa. And I want to have you know that I watched this carefully for two reasons. Number one, I want to see if there was any sandbagging involved without old Marina Schaefer in it. And also, it's the fifth match on this pay-per-view card that we've seen on the pay-per-view. There were four more before that. And it's the first one-on-one actual wrestling match, and it's the girls. So now, two girls... Having a serious wrestling match, one-on-one, have got to follow every bump, every dive, every piece of furniture, a baseball bat, blah, blah, blah. And that's, you know, that's when I had time to sit and realize the the fans, they they were very nice. The fans were
2: nice to the girls. They didn't shit on the girls. Although you could tell based on the empty seats in-house, this was the match that made people go to the bathroom. This is like, okay, I could take a break because they don't
3: come for matches they come for chaos bumps and spots and dives nobody's pulling for the baby face to win nobody's crossing their fingers the heel loses nobody believes anything they are there to see repetitive chaos over and over they don't care again if it makes sense, they just want to pop on chaos and big bumps and see people make entrances that they don't expect to be there. That's what they're coming for now. And that's not a sustainable business model, folks, because your your talent roster is not sustainable when all the people want to see is bumps, injuries, and chaos. So Storm and Rosa, they worked hard, they can work, and they were serious. By the end of this too, they were still, they were kicking out of DDTs on the floor and all kinds of devastating shit, but it was a good ladies match and Rosa hit her finish one, two, three. It was the easiest thing on the show so far to actually watch and not be scoffing at or just confused by. What'd you think?
4: Good match.
2: Can't say anything else. (laughs)
4: well see you're the one that was always oh Cornette,
3: you ought to watch all the girls matches i didn't say all the girls give the girls
2: a chance that's not what i said i think you dismiss some of the girls that are good because of how many of the bad ones you've seen and i actually don't think that's an unreasonable reaction i think that's the reaction a lot of wrestling fans have but there are really good ones out there there are ones who are improving and trying hard and then there are ones who don't belong on national tv the sandbaggers Well, we don't know who sandbagged who. Could we have a, uh, that should be a
3: tag team match, the sandbaggers versus the carpetbaggers. Anyway, so that was the fifth match. Uh, The next event was not a match. It involved the company mascot. This was supposed to be for Will Ostrich's United States title, but apparently now Juice has that. So, Brian, I ain't lying. Well, you know, you saw it. Some of the people, I'm sure a lot of the people listening probably didn't. Every match on this card practically was for some kind of title. We've been laughing for weeks about how many championships and belts there are in AEW and other companies and Ring of Honor and New Japan and all Pacific, Atlantic, Asian, Dead Sea. Osprey loses his U.S. title that he has in new japan so he comes out wearing another belt from an outlaw promotion in england just so he makes sure he has a you get a belt you get a belt this is fucking ridiculous again everybody's got belts we've never seen before and may not ever see again hey did you notice the belts
2: that weren't on this show there were some? Yeah, FTR were not allowed to carry out the AAA tag titles because AAA hates New Japan, and New <laughs> Japan has an agreement with CMLL, and that's why Andrade and, I believe, Penta and Phoenix, they weren't on this show because AAA refused to allow any of those people to work on this show. Well, even they though, were the lucky Even though they're AEW wrestlers, AAA still has that sway. They were the lucky ones, is all I've got
3: to say. So anyway, it was Ostrich and Pockets. According to my time counter that registered as I was fast-forwarding this, they gave this thing 16 minutes on a four-hour show, and they did 16 minutes of the goofball. And there was a five-minute afterbirth with the heels get heat, and then some other Japanese guy does a run-in and beats up Ostrich and his unknown minions – And that went another, like I said, another five or six minutes and ended with the mascot putting his sunglasses on the Japanese guy. So that was over 20 minutes on pay-per-view. But it was partially made up for by seeing the next match because now they've got another talent to work with if they are so inclined. He's signed him. I don't know whether he knows what to do with him or not. But they've now got Claudio Castagnoli. And did you see the difference in this match? Claudio Castagnoli versus, we finally see him, Zack Sabre Jr. They botched this bad in a way, but I'm so happy to see Claudio there. But did you... I mean... This was like, again, this was almost like a -a make-a-wish match. Here is Claudio. And and by the way, this seventh match on the pay-per-view, the first male one-on-one match involving all serious wrestlers. I don't count the mascot. But Claudio, besides, he was madly over with the people. He's got the WWE sympathy factor. He's a great wrestler that they maligned and misused. And also, he's right down this audience's alley because he's worked all Ring of Honor and all the independents, but also he's fucking talented. He knows what he's doing. He's got the size. He's got the strength. He can put a match together. Remember one of the first empty arena matches when the pandemic became a thing? We were watching one of the WWE shows. I said, Claudio's the only one that can actually do this. Because everybody else is just doing their normal match in front of fucking no people and it looks goofy. Whereas Claudio is a good enough worker and a realistic enough man that he wrestled and laid hands on people and you could hear the smack and it translated even with no fans. He was one of the only ones. So you've got a guy here that can do almost everything. And now that I saw Zack Sabre Jr., here's the deal. This should have been eight minutes, mostly Claudio. Hit him with a finish one, two, three. Claudio was over with the crowd and the match at the start was over because of Claudio. And the longer it went, the more obvious it became that Zack Sabre Jr. is not at Claudio's level. He was fucking carrying him. He was having to sell for him and the guy, he's Zack Sabre Jr. He's athletic. I'm not saying he sucks, but apparently he's worked in Japan and or British independence. There's no psychology there. There's no, there's no charisma there. There's no, there, there. He's just doing shit. And he's another one. that looks like he's, you know, at the casting call of saved by the bell. And I'll tell you, for example, Claudio did his stuff where he was in a lot of cases toying with Sabre because of his you know immense strength and he had the facials like okay this guy's gonna be a test for me but not like the hardest fight I've ever had which is what he should have but then as the match went on did you see Sabre traps Claudio's leg in the ropes when Claudio misses a kick and does the deal where he does the snap of the leg in the ropes and then gets in the ring and starts working on Claudio's arm. Well, then why did he cut him off with the leg? It, it just, it, then Sabre tried toying with Claudio when Claudio was selling, but it didn't cut. He's got no look, no physique, no charisma, and no gimmick. He's just a guy standing there at one point, And he's trying to do technical wrestling. At one point, they're on the mat, and Sabre works into a kneeling abdominal stretch and then kept going (laughs) and worked his own self out of his own hold and completely lost it. And Claudio's sitting there going, what the fuck? So anyway, like I said, they were fire hot at the beginning for Claudio. This should have been either quick and dominant or it should have been another opponent because it didn't do Claudio any good for this to go on so long. The gotch lift where Claudio gotch lifted him in the ring. They took a bump over the top. He didn't let go. He picked him up off the floor, walked up the stairs and threw him in over the top rope was fucking great. Anyway, like I said, it was too long and he didn't do the big swing because he was selling his arm. And there was something going on later on, so I forgive them for not doing it here. But they spent forever on some leg holes, and I'm just like, God damn, this guy has no timing when to get up. As a matter of fact, at one point, Claudio, when he was going to go for something, had to say, get up!
4: Uh,
3: But anyway, finally, Claudio hit a clothesline and a powerbomb one, two, three. But he should have put him away about half that time. What would you think?
2: I thought it was all right. I know a lot of people are excited about Claudio. I'm not terribly excited. I agree he's a talented guy. And the guy, you know, where he lifted the guy with one arm, yeah, I've seen him do that a bunch of times. But he's another guy that's been on there on WWE TV for a long time. And the period of time where me and a lot of other people stopped wanting to see WWE TV, he's one of many guys on the roster that was featured on that show. I know they're going to revamp him. He's going to be a part of the Blackpool Combat Club. Oh, boy. And all that. And I know this is going to bother people, and he's a talented guy, but I wonder if this is the best way AEW should be filling up their roster right now. I really do. They have too many guys from WWE. It's becoming too many guys off WWE TV on this show. And to anyone who's not a hardcore fan reading newsletters or on message boards or watching old tapes of Ring of Honor from almost 15 years ago at this point, You know, they don't see this as a big deal the way I think other fans do. So we'll see how this goes. But, you know, I'm not going to be terribly excited about another guy that could just work great matches. Because there's more to it than that.
3: I think he can be a guy that can do more than just work great matches. And I remember when we first talked about him being released, I said, boy, I wish he'd go away for six months and come back with a new name, new look, however he wants to present himself. So he came back with basically the same look and the exact same name he had before he went to WWE, but, and again, it's up to presentation, and I don't hold out a lot of hope for that because they don't have a booker, but he's a smart guy, and he, he can perform, and on this roster and in this field, he will especially stand out because he's got the size and got the strength and got the experience to make his matches make sense. And I was impressed as fuck with him when he and Chris Hero were the kings of wrestling. They were the best heel tag team in wrestling. I likened them to the modern Midnight Express. They could do everything. They could work with different style tag teams and have different matches. And that's what AEW needs. So even if he doesn't draw him any money because he'll be booked into oblivion like everybody else is after their hot debut, selfishly, I want to see more of him on the TV if I got to watch the fucking TV. So there you go. Now riddle me this, Brian. What was this IWGP title four-way match supposed to be originally? Because was Adam Cole supposed to be in this? Or wasn't he just mad because Sling Blade didn't want to wrestle him? He wanted to wrestle Paige, but he didn't want to wrestle Paige. He wanted to do something. What the fuck happened here with this match?
2: I forget exactly how it happened. I think it was that Switchblade was his friend, and then Switchblade was never good. I, I don't know. Then he got mad because Switchblade wanted to fight the Hangman, and then Okada showed up in street clothes and settled that, and then it became a four-way. Yeah. I don't but Cole
3: hadn't wrestled in a month before this, and now I hear he's banged up again. Yeah, apparently he got hurt again. Uh. Anyway, it's a four-way, right? But it's one of the main matches. And so I said, I'm going to give this some time and see if Okada or White managed to be impressive because I've seen the other two. And uh, uh, Sling Blade had... Who was the Japanese guy with the fishing hat he had in his corner? A ghetto. Ghetto. The booker get out oh he had the booker in his well there you go and it seems like if I'd have known that I'd have known he was gonna win <sighs> four-way hundred miles per hour spill out to the floor page does a dive Knox is the referee so he's counting nobody out they go to the entrance ramp fight there they give page a double vertical suplex on the ramp this is within the first three minutes of the match Then they get back in the ring and Cole and white beat up Okada and you were right. Jay white is bigger than Adam Cole and he's got a better physique, but in street clothes, they looked about the same, but now it's white and Cole have decided they'll team up. No honor among thieves. They'll team up and then they'll settle it amongst themselves when they get rid of the other two okada i'm waiting to see okay let me be impressed he sells and doesn't do much page makes a big comeback on both heels now page chops the shit out of Cole, and the other two guys in the match have disappeared they're uh, gonna do this again where suddenly you just realize well there's only two people having this match where the other two go and they've got to be laying down there at ringside where the fans in the front row can see them obviously just hanging out waiting for their scene so they then they stop page and okada makes comeback he's got a nice drop kick has a nice drop kick then all four of them went back to the floor and okada put the heels in ringside over the rail into a ringside section that they told people move <laughs> and then he puts the heels in ringside and then runs and does a cross body uh, over the rail onto the heels And I'm just saying, I hope Okada has a summer home in Chicago for all the lawsuits. It'll save him trouble when he's flying back and forth. They don't sue people in Japan. So somebody might ought to, well, what am I thinking? Nobody in this locker room understands they're going to get fucking sued one of these days anyway.
2: We should talk to Stephen P. New about that when he's on the show.
3: Well, there you go, because he'll probably be the one they call. I'll make I'll make sure to me hey that guy kid that got kicked in the face he ought to call Stephen P New, cause it's anyway it went quite a while longer. Page did the moonsault off the top to the floor on two guys who this time instead of me complaining because he just never looks back blindly trusting the guy to be where he last saw him. This time he did the moonsault off the top without looking to two guys who weren't even there when he last looked back. and then page goes for the buckshot lariat but the fisherman gato grabbed his leg and immediately jim ross says well rick knox is looking right at that because it's so fucking stupid that they don't even know how to distract the referee who's useless anyway because rick knox is have we mentioned just goddamn
2: abominable there was one match and it may have been this one i don't even remember." where two guys were fighting near the rampway, and you couldn't see either one or two other guys. And I remember thinking, is one of them in the ring? They're going to win this match by countout any second now. And then it kept happening and happening, and there was no countout.
3: Yeah. He can't get that far. He only he only got to seventh grade, so he can only get to four. Anyway, so then Paige hits Buckshot on White, and Okada makes a save, and the people start chanting, fight forever, and I notated they already have. So then it's Okada and Page fighting. The other two disappear for no reason. But then Cole posts Page, and now it's Okada and Cole. Okada has a nice elbow off the top rope. They did a bunch of super kicks. Okada did another drop kick. Nice drop kick. Apparently his big move is the rainmaker, which he missed about five times and actually never hit. And uh, more super kicks. And suddenly, Jay White appears after being gone for minutes and hits a crossroads on Adam Cole out of nowhere. One, two, three. Adam Page was the most impressive guy in this match, and that is not high praise. But, and again, this is the one obviously because White is their champion. And I said, if if you're going to have an interpromotional showdown than your promotion the show that it's on you need to win most of them but the other guys have to win something this is the one they needed to win but god damn it's America who gives a shit shouldn't white have beaten Okada instead of beating one of the AEW guys I uh, I don't but it is a four-way with the same shit that everybody does in every match done again for a long period of time. And you're the resident Japanese expert here. It was Okada having an off night, or is that impressive
2: for Okada? I don't think it was particularly impressive for Okada. You said he had a good dropkick. He has a great dropkick. He did two of them. He's really, really good. And I would, was not, <laughs> I would not have focused on a four-way. It's very hard for anyone who's good to be good in a four-way. It's a mess. Exactly. And, and apparently Adam Cole got hurt, and that's one of the reasons they went to the finish when they did, isn't it? Oh, God, I don't know. You mean they had more? There was more? Maybe I'm wrong, because I haven't really followed up on forbidden door news, but I believe Adam Cole got concussed, and that caused the end of the match to change.
3: Well, anyway, it it, it didn't. they didn't just beat the guy with the concussion if they weren't supposed to. They were always going to beat him. Because you don't oh, that guy's got a concussion. We'll just decide to beat him. No, you go home early, but you still beat the same guy you were going to beat. So that didn't change the
2: fucking result. It might have saved us some time. Hey, before we move on with the show, did you see that clip about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, of Jack Evans landing on his head? Now, I've been seeing that clip for 25 years. It was a new one. Oh. It was brutal. He did the... I don't even know how many degrees, the complete around and around and around splash and went right headfirst to the mat. And the first thought you have is, oh, my God, this guy's paralyzed. So his opponent just gets up and starts dragging
4: him. To the middle the
2: but apparently no, I he's mean, OK. Ev- every,
3: every match that I've ever seen him in, that is kind of the thing that happens, right?
2: Well, not this his head. This more but, egregious. You know, this was fairly egregious. Correct. Speaking of which, speaking of egregiousness, go ahead. We had more
3: forbidden door. Yes, we did. The match that none of us have been waiting for. And again, this could have been, I'm not saying ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I'm not saying don't do a new Japan, AEW cross promotion pay-per-view. I'm saying don't muck it up as badly as they did this one. Get Okada and Tanahashi and put them in singles matches. And get a tag team, and put them in a tag team match, and get your three, four, five best guys you can that you can feature and focus on your t- on on your television for four to six weeks out, and acquaint the people with who they are and what they're coming for, and if they're fighting for championships, then don't have every other match on the card be for some kind of fucking kabuki-ish title because then. They don't stand out and allow the Japanese guys to be impressive and get over instead of being hidden in this mishmash. That would have just, but instead we get eight to 12 matches with a bunch of people whose names nobody on the fucking AEW roster can even pronounce, much less like anybody in this country has ever heard of. And then Okada and Tanahashi, Okada's hidden in a mess where he can't wow anybody and then Tanahashi's working with Moxley where he can't wow anybody the point is of the main event Japanese talent only Tanahashi here was in a singles match and it's against Moxley and it's for a gimmick title and Mr. Resident Japanese Expert was this as good as you've ever seen Tanahashi look or am I missing something Or
2: what's happening here? He's been beat up. He's a bit older. So this is not the best I've seen Tanahashi look. I don't know if I'll ever see him at his best again. It's nice to see him on American TV for once. I'm not a big fan of Moxley and Moxley's matches. And this was more of a Moxley match than a Tanahashi match in my eyes. Well, the good thing
3: was he almost stayed in the ring. Almost. I guess he was trying to be more serious because the Japanese folks are here like they're the goddamn school principals. The thing is, it would be great if this company was filled with fans of American wrestling. So we could have some good examples of that instead of marking out for Japanese wrestling, if they could get Fujinami over here in his prime, maybe a little, uh, Kuniaki Kobayashi, some Kingo Kimura, I'd go for those guys. They were badass. These guys are a bunch of bleached blonde twits. Anyway, it was the 46th anniversary of the Ali Inoki match, by the way, that they mentioned right at the top of the main event here. And that match was better than half of this shit. And that was the worst match I ever saw. <laughs> it was slow going. That was the one time my mother ever took me to a wrestling event. And afterwards she looked down at me and I kind of looked up at her and it was almost like we could have stayed home. But the undercard that night was from the Omni. And I got to see Dory Funk Jr. and Jack Briscoe go 30 Minutes Broadway. It was advertised as Terry versus Briscoe for the title, but it ended up being Dorian and Briscoe. Anyway, that was 1976. This, unfortunately, was in 2022. We were three hours and 20 minutes into the pay-per-view plus the pre-show when the bell rang to start this fucking match. And after all the chaos again, the chaos and the furniture and the fucking brawling on the floor and the whatever, now here's two guys and they start trying to work a headlock. Which is the way you should start a world championship match, but not after people have seen the, goddamn, the, the raping and evacuation of all the animals on Noah's Ark. Then they stood there and traded forearms. A guy I've never seen versus a guy that I can't stand. I gave credit to Moxley because he was trying to work. He hadn't gone to the floor yet. Um, Tanahashi's punches look like shit. I wrote in capital letters. God, this place would have been lit up for Punk if it had been Punk and Tanahashi, Chicago. Every fucking breath they took would have gotten a standing ovation. Finally, they went to the floor, and Moxley rocked bottomed, rocked bottom, rock bottomed. Tanahashi threw a table at ringside. Um. Okay, then Brian. Have you ever seen anybody get their forehead busted open from a clothesline across the chest? No, I have not. Tanahashi hits it. Now he does the sling blade too. So he's got Jay White's gimmick, right? Or is was it Okada's gimmick? Who did the sling blade or the rainmaker or whatever? Anyway, Tanahashi does the sling blade. It's a clothesline and Moxley takes a bump and rolls out to the floor and Comes up to his knees and is bleeding like a stuck hog from the head from a clothesline. Was there no way somebody could they just run me into the post? But he had to bleed. Was blood really called for in this match? Yes, because it was a Moxley match, no <laughs> for any other reason. For any other reason, no. They could have had a fuck, a little blood in the fucking multiple man fucking grudge mat. Whatever. Anyway, at one point, Tanahashi hit a splash off the top rope and got a two count and Moxley just rolled him into a fucking choke after taking the splash. I guess because they just imagine that things will be cool if they roll right into him. Yeah, as soon as you hit me with that fucking... Ford F-150 coming 35 miles an hour down Main Street, then I'll jump back up and do a little dance on the hood. That'll be fun. Uh, Mox got another choke, kept it forever, Tanahashi got back up, and Moxley hit the paradigm shift one, two, three. Who does these fucking finishes? Nothing builds to a climax. Nothing has the people on the edge of their seat. Nothing for about 30 or 45 seconds could go either way and suddenly, oh my God! Or a fuck behind the referee's back. Or a goddamn Hail Mary. No, it's just they do some shit and then somebody's done with his shit so he wins. And then just, I'll let you tell me what you thought of the contest, but Oh, by the way, at one point, Tanahashi also crawled up on top, on the top rope like a moose with a hernia. I thought all the Japanese guys were supposed to do the top rope cross bodies and all that stuff. It looked like he was trying to get up there to avoid hot lava. So after the match is over with, suddenly here comes Jericho and Garcia, and they jump in and beat up Moxley and Tanahashi. And then here comes Kingston and Yuda and Santana and Ortiz and they're throwing fake looking punches everywhere. And here comes Hager and Garcia and cool hand Luke and Mac daddy, daddy Mac. And there was fakeness everywhere because all of these guys now have lost the fucking plot. When they get in one of these Goddamn multiple man brawls, they think they're just supposed to wave their arms at each other and that nobody's going to notice that their shit looks like shit because there's so many people involved. But in an arena that size with 16,000 people, there's always somebody looking right at you. And if your shit looks like shit, they'll see it. And if you're on television, the camera's going to see it. So it just, it's. Anyway, finally. Here comes Claudio, and he hits the ring and makes a big comeback and does the big swing on one of the heels. Twenty reps or, sh- or, or so, and that's what the people wanted to see. But Brian, I leave you with this thought, and then you dissect the match and everything for me. Did they just shoot an angle on pay per view to lead to free television? That used to be a shit stain thing to do. The, the, did they just do the exact? Polar backwards opposite of what you would do if what you were doing made any sense.
2: They did the polar backwards opposite of what the fans in the building and the fans at home wanted. No one wanted that post-match angle. And you could tell by the reaction on TV by the fans there. They didn't want this at all. This was misplaced. This was a bad idea. And yeah, they did an angle here to build to blood and guts the War Games match on Wednesday night for free. Well, there it was, ladies and gentlemen, behind the green door. Oh, yeah, what were your thoughts on this match with the incredible Tanahashi? There's nothing wrong with Tanahashi. I'm not going to let you just insult him for no reason. I'm, I'm going by the evidence. You're going I'm by seeing presented. him as an older wrestler in a match against a guy who can't wrestle a fucking match without it turning into garbage usually. So it's not a fair representation of Tanahashi at his peak. But is that my fault that I was not given
3: a fair representation?
2: No. And it and he hasn't been really built up well on TV. So, you know, I think the people in the house there were the fans that know New Japan. They'll pop for the music. They know who everyone is. When Shibata's music plays, they pop for it. But if you were at home at watching AEW with no prior history of watching New Japan wrestling or no interest in wrestlers and angles happening out of nowhere with people you've never seen before, I don't know if that would have led you to care about this, and Tanahashi's one of their biggest stars. Would have been a different build-up if it was him and Punk, but it was him and Moxley for the interim title, and I think everyone knew what the conclusion was going to be. So it's hard, for me, I'm at a point in life where sometimes it's hard for me to get into a match when I absolutely know what the ending is going to be. And who was Chibata? Shibata was the guy that came out earlier. It may have been the Osprey thing, I think. Oh, that's right, the Unknown yeah, well He should have come out
3: carrying a sandwich. So we'd have known it's uh, the, he's the, the, the only guy, one he's on ciabatta bread. He's
2: the only one of all. These guys that still wrestles in just black trunks looks like a 1980s. New Japan wrestler doesn't have a bouffant.
3: There's that word again.
2: You haven't said I was wrong when I call a Tanahashi. For I have not.
3: It looks, it looks like he, as my mom used to say, it looks like he went to the beauty shop. Wouldn't say hairdresser, wouldn't say beauty parlor. Say, I'm going to the beauty shop. So when I was a kid, I was like, oh, okay,
2: we're going to go buy some beauty. Well, Jim, perhaps somewhere right now in Tokyo, Japan, Antonio Inoki sits there and says, what has happened to my former company? Everyone had a crew cut. Everyone had hair close to their head. Not this. Once again, as Howard Bauma said, the Joy Behar look in pro wrestling. I need the Sue. If he needed Sue. She could
3: come in and show him how to do the bouffant, cause Sue was the one that worked at the. Not, shop. I need a Sue. I need two Sue. Oh, he needs a suit. Well, Barnett used to go to
2: Hong Kong to get his suits, not Tokyo. Well, we don't know I'll what he was. Do- what- we don't know what he was doing in Hong Kong for. We the
3: don't. Record. We don't know what kind of things he was getting measured for over there. But I'll tell you another thing, folks. Whether you need a suit or a pair of shoes or whatever, maybe even a nice, a nice hat. What you really need is money, like millions of dollars. And I know Antonio Inoki, so rich. My God, he's got $100 million. He doesn't need to sue anybody, but he should sue on behalf of his former business over there, what they've done to it, the slander and the malingering and maligning of it. But if you need some money and you need to sue, then I know who that you should use. Call Stephen
0: P. News. 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 News.
3: News. 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 And yes, ladies and gentlemen, how does this sound to you, Brian, last $43,200,000? How does that sound? Sounds like a good month. Well, that's that's exactly right. That's what that NewLawOffice.com and Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084, that's what they have won for their clients in personal injury and wrongful death cases since 1998. That's wrongful death cases. If you can't prove that the guy shouldn't have died, they won't give you any money. If it was correct, if he deserved it, then that's that's on them, but they'll pay you if it's wrongful. How about $33,700,000, Brian? Sounds like a good I'll week, take it. doesn't it? Sure, okay. Well, that's what that newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084, and Stephen P. New and his minions have won in employment and wrongful termination and product liability cases since 1998. So right there, you got 43, you got 33, you got almost $80 million that the clients of newlawoffice.com have indeed received thanks to the efforts of Stephen P. New and his fine crack Legal staff there, and besides that, you say you ain't been wrongfully terminated. You say that they had every right to fire your ass. Well, what about personal injury? Did they need to run you over on the way out of the parking lot? What about medical malpractice? When that doctor checked you for the hemorrhoids and stuck his finger up your ass, did he have both his hands on your shoulders at the same time? If you've been injured in a workplace, They say, for example, like a wrestling arena. Got some idiot jumping off the top rope and landing the full weight of his body ass first in the side of your head? Call Stephen P. New at 888-692-8084. Any kind of various assaults or terminations or injurious behavior can be modified and rectified and circumcised by our friend Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 888-692-80, as i mentioned before, 84.
2: All right, Jim. Well, here's some audio from the post-forbidden door media scrum. Are we scrumming again? We are. You
3: How know, I, I like it. I like to just get in the car, get all dressed up, and go out scrumming.
2: Well, I'm looking through the notes here. We have a transcript of everything. I'm trying to find things to play. Uh, hold on. A lot of transcript here. (laughs) A lot
3: of of transcript running through your mind right now.
2: All right, let's go. I'm going to try to find the timestamp here. We're going to go to a question being asked of John Moxley by a child reporter who's been in the room the whole day with all this cursing and everything going on. What? A child reporter? What? Apparently there's a kid who does something. I'm not going to put him down for this. There's nothing wrong with that. Who reports on wrestling. Maybe. Wait a minute.
3: What what was that word salad? There's apparently a kid that does something. Because you I'm immediately put act down. like there's you're ready
2: to put it, it down, that. the idea that they have a kid at this thing.
4: <sighs>
2: Do you think it's inherently wrong? Well, I, I can't see that. Is
3: he is he 16 or is he fucking five? I mean, there's well, there's, something there's in
2: grades there. Yeah, there's stuff in between. But let's hear some audio. A question being asked of John Moxley out there with his bloody head and his belt. And Tony Khan, as they both drink their non-alcoholic beer, let's go to this question.
0: Um, first off, my name's AJ from the AJ Awesome Show.
5: Yeah, you are.
2: <laughs> uh, with the Backpool Combat Club having new member after new member, like Wheeler Yuda
0: and Claudio... Uh, how has it affected your career in a good, in a positive way or a negative way to have more people surrounding you?
3: Let me stop right there. Hey, fine I I think they need to hire the kid to do the YouTube show. He sounds more manly than most of their fucking talent. You know, they should have him replace Marvez.
2: (laughs) Why, he sounds more natural than Officer Barb Brady. And the wrestlers will seem like giants. Isn't that what you want? Yeah. Let's go to Moxley's answer about the Blackpool Combat Club.
5: Oh, it's the it's the best thing man like that's another thing that's just like this blackpool combat club came together just like this perfect time and it's just so good for me and like it just fits so perfectly and like for instance claudio i mean it wasn't even a question of like like he's basically already because it's a real thing you know it's not this act we're putting on, you know? He's a real student of Regal and he's a real training partner of mine, former training partner for years. We were in developmental together. We traveled together a lot. Uh we've you know I said like hey you know I said something once about like hey you gotta we gotta bleed together if you're gonna be on my team. I uh I wrestled Claudio a million times. We have I have busted him open on multiple occasions. You can go back and watch that shit on Peacock. I knocked his fucking teeth right down his throat. He wore adult braces for two years, you know? So we've been there. We've been down the road together, you know? Uh, I mean, he's, like, legitimately, like, part of the group. And, like, we're... And uh, to have that, like, I... Oh, my God! Can somebody shut him up?
2: Why? What do you have against what he's saying here? I'm just, would he get to a point? He's got a point there, but if he combs his hair right, nobody'll notice it. Well, so far the point appears to be that he likes having these guys around him. The Blackpool Combat Club is good for him. He really is happy to do this, and it's real. Him and Claudio really are partners and students of Regal, so that's why it makes yeah. sense. Let's hear maybe. And, and also, song. he's he's
3: revealed that he's such a polished worker that he knocked fucking Claudio's teeth out.
5: Well, maybe it all come together. Uh, let's hear what he says feel like right now is also like a jumping off point like i can like this feels like the baseline i've been trying to get to what i've been picturing in my mind for like three years and it's all starting to kind of become a reality and i'm like man this is like so here's the baseline starting off point like imagine how good we could get and i'm surrounded by guys you know i love to train i love to learn i love to get better uh try little you know try stuff out I love helping other guys too you know so I have Wheeler as like a young guy who's more talented than me to use my brain and experience and try to help him and help him get better and he's a great dude otherwise he wouldn't be in the group either we don't like we don't let assholes in the group and uh to, uh, to have a dude like that to be able to help him but also have him push me cause he's you know young and hungry and uh all that, but also, like, to have Regal who doesn't let anything slide. If I talk to him after this match, he had, like, two or three little things that I could have done better, you know? No congratulations or whatever. No, hey, way to win the belt. No, it was like, you know, you could have done, like, three or four things. But I like that. I want, you know, I get plenty of congratulations. I don't need that shit. I need help getting better. Let me stop it there for a
2: second. What do you think about
3: what he's saying here? I don't know what he's fucking saying. He's as goddamn
2: exciting to listen to as he is to watch. Wheeler Yuta's is a very talented guy with more talent than Moxley, and he's a good guy. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in the group. They don't allow assholes in the group. What do you think of that?
3: I can't argue with anybody being better than Moxley. I think they (laughs) all are. And I'm I'm happy that none of them are assholes at you know, both these things can be true. They cannot be assholes and be rotten
2: wrestlers all at the same time. And William Regal still critiquing and picking apart his matches, even when. And, and boy, apparently he just ain't listening.
5: Well, let's hear what else he says here. And, uh, so he doesn't let anything slide and he keeps me sharp and helps me get better. And, uh, having Claudio and Brian, uh, who are like, two of the greatest you know I mean Brian in my book Brian Danielson is the greatest you know people say like Tanahashi's one of the greatest ever and you know Jericho's the goat and we say all this you know just for my money in my opinion the greatest professional wrestler to ever live to ever do it in the ring is Brian Danielson and it's crazy because he's my partner I get to like tag team with him you know and also he's one of my favorite wrestlers ever like my legit like on my top list of like two or three four whatever like he's in that group of like oh my favorite wrestlers to watch ever and it's almost like there's two different there's like my one of my favorite wrestlers to watch brian danielson who's like right up there with my all-time favorites like bret hart and stuff and then there's like brian my friend who's like all eco-friendly and shit you know That and you know, he's like a good father, and all this. And you know, we have similar interests, and we talk and whatever. That's almost like two separate people. And sometimes I gotta like pinch myself out there. Like, I get to team with one of my favorite wrestlers, like, of all the time. Let me stop it. What time of day is that there after this
3: five hour show? And he's out there droning on about his mutual admiration society. Now I understand that listening to him speak is as exciting as watching him wrestle.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to play any more Moxley audio. But what? Please don't. What do you think about the idea that Danielson's the greatest wrestler of all time?
3: Well, sooner or later, even a blind squirrel will find a nut. So sooner or later, Moxley actually says something that's remotely uh, correct or plausible, or I would definitely think he's in a conversation. We've talked about it. He was doing great work until they fucking yanked him out of being a single and put him in with the goddamn.
2: Plumber. <sighs> well, Jim, here's some audio we have of FTR with Tony Khan. Dax and hey, Sh- by, by the way, by, well, let's just bring this up. Again, we bring it because we can't.
3: Unfortunately, we don't have the video because you can't hear a hug. You got to see hugs. Tony Khan was hugging like crazy at this media thing, right? The pictures on Twitter are insane. He's holding on to people like you imagine that they held on to the fucking life preservers on the deck of the Titanic. He is holding on to people like he's a... he. One of them even said on Twitter, like a make-a-wish kid gets to meet his hero when he's hugging Claudio. He's just hugging and latching on to these guys like they've saved him from a burning building. And poor which, which one... Is it Okada has the... Uh, the uh, bleach blonde bouffant or was that Toronto i wouldn't say high? he has a bouffant but he has the bleach blonde hair, he's a yes. bleach blonde well the point is if you could tell him standing there going like my god these crazy americans what the fuck's going on with this guy the the mad hugger I, I used to call him
2: the mad hatter now he's the mad hugger it is something to see because you know it's one thing everyone gives each other a hug nowadays but it is like he's holding on for dear life and I'm not sure why or where <laughs> that comes from, but Jim, here's another question from the media scrum. To FTR, there's been a lot going on with FTR. Let's hear why they think it's happening right now.
6: Will Washington, uh, Fightful. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, it's great that you knew that. <laughs> um, so the last couple of weeks... Uh, this past Wednesday and tonight, you guys have received some of what I'd call the biggest pops you guys have ever had. And uh, a big factor in that is, of course, you guys being one of the best tag teams out there. But uh, Dude, uh, start. For, rewind.
7: Uh, Don't the, say one of them. Come on.
6: You, it's at <laughs> least
7: lie to us. We're right here in front okay. of
8: you. The best.
6: <laughs> okay.
8: Jeez. But another factor press, in lie. that
6: has been um the change in theme music which i think last fall a lot of people were a little bit skeptical of but i would say today across the board people have called one of the best themes out there i've been crowds where i've seen people going nuts over it (laughs) dancing in the stands how do you guys feel like the music has affected uh your guys's presentation and uh you guys <laughs> the, the, love it.
7: yeah the only person we got to thank for that is tony i yeah. mean that was his call and he called us in his office and he was so excited man <laughs> he was like you guys have to listen to this and we listened to it and i i can't lie to you at first i was like oh my god that's not the, that's not what we're used to you know we're used to being these badass guys who like come out and fight and stuff but uh that god dang it sounds like I'm, gonna, I'm kissing his butt and I promise I'm not. <laughs> this is the most time you've ever done a <laughs> <laughs> To
4: your face.
7: <laughs> but that, that's, the, that's the thing is like what they don't understand. What no one understands is, god dang, like the, the word genius gets thrown around, but he really is freaking smart when it comes to wrestling. Thanks, I mean, in, in life in general, he's smart, but like, when, when, but when, but yeah, no, I mean, the
9: first part means more coming from
7: you, that well, means a you. lot
9: coming from you, but, especially but, but, considering who I pulled the music from, he probably wouldn't be the first. To say
2: but, <laughs> but, but, yeah, well, no, no, he,
9: I, but I, I grew up on
2: this is gimmick. Uh, but he, he really, let me stop it there for a second. Cause they're obviously <laughs> referencing you. What are your thoughts on the early part of this?
3: Well, it, it, They've basically they're beating around the bush to talk about the music without coming out and saying what the music is. It's a revamp or re orchestration or rearrangement or whatever of the Midnight Express music, which, you know, kind of uh, I mean, Dax and Cash are both North Carolina guys that grew up with the NWA and love classic tag team wrestling. So that kind of fits them and it's an homage, but you know, I would think they would have come out and say, Yeah, it's a it's a Midnight Express revamp and that kind of puts us in the mood. You know, but uh they were beating around the bush a little bit about it, but it went the, the new music, the new music. But uh but yeah, it 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 you know it's uh what a flattering in a way. They are the best tag team in the business now, so they should have Midnight Express worthy music.
2: Is Tony Khan a genius?
3: no <laughs> come on that's what he said L- lie to us we're sitting right here that's what they're doing putting him over he's the boss he got him a nice catchy tune I mean you know I mean he may be a genius on statistics or I don't know anything about football so he could be a football genius other people that do know stuff about football say he's not but what do I know But wrestling genius, no, come on.
2: I think you could argue he's a genius maybe as a promoter, considering what he's done. But when it comes to booking, that's where people lose me when they say he's a booking genius. Being a promoter is one thing. Being a matchmaker is one thing. But actually, week-to-week, serious TV that makes sense, angles that make sense, things that go someplace and make sense, Tony Khan is not good at that. That's where you need someone to talk to him and help him and when certain people aren't at TV, it's obvious, because everything changes, and it reverts back to Tony's instincts, as opposed to things that may work, to better an angle, or furthering an angle, or a series of angles. Uh, and and somebody remarked, and I'm trying to think what
3: now that we've played it a couple minutes ago, I can't remember the word for word, the exact transcript, but somebody said, What do you think about him saying that's your gimmick? That's the way people in the wrestling business talk. He's not saying, well, that's his gimmick. He's just putting it all in, uh, putting all that on. He said, that's his gimmick. Cornette, cheeseburgers, that's his gimmick. He loves them. So everybody was like, oh, he's knocking Jim. No, he wasn't. He's
2: saying it's my gimmick. That's what I do. Well, let's just clear it up. When you say Tony Khan is not a wrestling genius, is that a gimmick? Are you lying to the listeners of this show? No. Because it is not a lie, and anybody with half a fucking,
3: I hate to use the old line, Stevie Wonder could see it, or Ray Charles could see it. Who's a famous blind person today? Jose Feliciano could see it. Anyway. Today? Jose Feliciano? Well, I, well he's he's more recent than Ray Charles. <laughs> Point is, no, <laughs> Tony Khan is not a wrestling genius, and my gimmick, gimmick, is to fucking say things about people that are fucking Fairly much true as why nobody else does it because they're afraid they won't get another job. I'm not looking for one. So I'm free of that,
2: that burden. Let's go back to some more of this audio from FTR and Tony
7: Khan. He is man. Like he, like the, I can think of tackle, drop down leapfrog and and lock up and stuff like that, but he can think broader than that. And, and sometimes it makes me mad. Wait, they still talking about Tony?
2: They're still talking about Tony. I didn't think he could get through Tackle, drop down, Leapfrog, much less to think broader. Well, no, he's saying he thinks broader than that. I think that means he wouldn't focus on that part of it, but let's go back to this audio.
7: Smart, the, 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 the professional. Smart as hell. <laughs> well, I'm supposed to be the professional, but then he takes it to another level. And so he played this music for us, and he was so hyped, and it was cool music, and I was like, I don't know if that's us, uh, but I'll be damned if it's not us. And that, yeah, you're right, that, that has helped our press. I think that... I think, um, I think like, uh, uh, our, uh, rainbow attire and like what we want to present out there. Um, I think his mullet and my mustache. Uh, and then I also think, uh, I think the style of wrestling we bring to, I think it all just came together at once and the universe provided it for, 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 us. And, and I think, uh, it's manifested itself into making us some pretty good baby faces.
2: Hey, let me just say the one thing he's not saying there, and I understand why he can't, People got sick of the Young Bucks, and people got sick of what they assumed the Young Bucks behind-the-scenes maneuvers are, and FTR had nothing but great matches, and they got aligned with CM Punk. That's the thing that no one wants to say, is that the Young Bucks parade has kind of ended, and there's less people in it than ever before. I concur with that.
3: Let's go back to the audio.
9: I think 99% of it's just the two of you guys, and less than 1% of it is that, and another piece of it that is you know, ninety nine percent of it is down to the two of you but one person he's not here tonight but I've seen you become a more confident and better wrestler since CM Punk walked through that door. I've seen you both take it to another level as his partner and backstage and talking to him. And I've watched you get more switched on and I've watched you take it from being one of the best wrestlers in the world to true like on the, the from the highest platform to somehow an even higher platform. And the two of you guys have taken it to another level. And particularly I've watched you get mentally switched on in a totally different way. And Dan, you've always been there. And as a, as a team, you've always been there. He's but now it's about the third guy. We
3: something
9: really strong. It would have been a very different build to this pay per view. We still had one of the greatest things I've ever been a part of in my life. But I think, like I said, 99% of it's down to you guys. And then there's all these other factors, music. And I think Phil has been yeah, a sure. very positive influence on both of you. Yes, He's I called
3: think- punk by his real name too on television. Well, not television, YouTube. Well, whatever the fuck it is. In public, at a media thing, he's calling the guys by their real fucking names. When, when, I know a lot of people on Twitter were going, well, could you see Vince McMahon doing this or Eric Bischoff doing this? When can you think of a wrestling promoter? I'm not talking about the fucking shyster outlaw mud show goofs these days. I'm talking about a legitimate wrestling promoter that ever did media where he hugged his wrestlers like they were their his childhood puppy and called them by their real names. I've never heard of anything like that.
8: Another first for AEW, but let's go back to the audio. <sighs> just to kind of sum it all up, is that there was nothing like, there wasn't a roadmap to how we were going to get here. We all just... Dave and I, Dax and I, David and I decided we wanted to just make as much fun as we could with the rest of what we're going to be doing because we don't know how long we're going to be doing this. And that kind of started the, the snowball. And then just small things here and there. Punk's arrival, Tony having this idea to switch the music. And like when I heard the music, I loved it, but I, I, I go straight to my mind and I'm like, how do I walk out to this? And I'm trying to picture it. I'm like, it's great music, but I don't know how to, how to be this but you don't have to now like it's just kind of one of those things where you hit it and like everybody's kind of moves however they feel individually and like it's just been one of those things where everything's just kind of fallen into place and it's been so serendipitous that it's almost comical but it has like it's it's peaked to right here like this has kind of all just been <coughs> one wild and crazy coincidence dean
9: drove me over here today and while Dean and I were sitting in the car, I was sitting in Shotgun, and I played it on my phone in the car with him, and I showed him a tweak I made, like, because if you the, the, the track I think that's on iTunes, there's like a cut about 45 seconds in, because there's like Mikey had it go up, he put like a little interlude between the, kind of what I'd call the hook, and like, it kind of goes up, and then it goes back down, and like on TV, we got to just, we don't have, I don't have four seconds, Mikey, you got to go right back to it, and uh, so the TV version, I think there's like a four, but I love it so much, and it was just one of those things. One day it was just the light bulb and i was like this is what we need this is what we need uh yep the, the frogs this is what the frogs, the frogs. Just real, real quick <laughs> when
8: he called us into his office like i said i'd already heard it once because he hadn't made it there yet and i loved it but I'm, I'm trying to like again all about visualization for me like i'm a very visual guy and so i have to like picture it and i'm trying to picture it and like he's playing it now and dave's in there and tony's just jamming the fuck out dude <laughs> and it's like okay like everybody's going to be doing this. So like, just let's everybody just feel like Tony feels right now. Let's go and look at it. It's just yeah. been, and then if the I just, change. well, I'll stop it right there. Brian, help me, help me, help me. This, that
3: conversation lasted longer than the sum total of all the other wrestlers. I've heard talk about their entrance music in the last 40 years, except if they were singing it. They were singing it. They went on for a while about it. Everybody at these things sounds like a bunch of fucking fans. The boys and the promoters did not talk like this to each other in private or out in public. Like this in my day, everybody is thrilled with everything. Everybody is so, oh my God, I have music. Oh my God, I got an action figure. Oh my God, I'm on the show i get to wrestle one of my heroes what the fuck is going on
2: and again part and of it i'm
3: not knocking ftr either but they're way too fucking happy about the fucking music
2: and again part of the issue is who's actually in the room who is the wrestling media and on that topic let's go to another question here this is to tony solo by himself later in the night
3: who's tony solo now is he friends with tony khan no this is tony by himself in oh, well, that's Say. So you're saying he's having a romantic interlude. Well, here
2: is Tony Khan sitting at a table, innocently asked a question by Nick Houseman of Wrestling Inc. I want to say the last time we played media scrum stuff, this guy was the only reporter in the room asking serious questions. So let's go to this one
8: hi tony nick hausman wrestling inc how are you doing good nick thank you i'm doing well thanks it's great it's a hometown show for us i know right it's wonderful i'm gonna be home in 20 minutes um (laughs) uh, my question was about somebody the fans are still talking about that we haven't seen on aew tv uh since his uh bombshell promo uh that's mjf uh is mjf Still with AEW? Like, what is his status with the company right now?
9: I, and uh, especially after the great show we did, I'm not going to comment on it, but it's it's a fair question to ask, but I'm uh, not going to cover that one right now. Thanks, Nick. Um, Do you have another question you want to ask since I was. Sure. No, I I didn't want you to waste up your question. Let me, let me, let me, do you have a follow up, Nick? Sure. It's okay. What is it?
2: Let me stop right there. So he still won't comment on the MJF thing. What do you think of that? Here's the thing there's always
3: been whenever someone has tried to really close up all the loopholes in the logic and make something really appear to be a shoot the one thing that usually bites you in the ass is you either don't go away or don't go anyway uh, don't go away for any length of time that you somehow the this perpetrator of all these you know, alleged shoot incidents is still on the TV or allowed in the fucking building or whatever. The, that's not the case here, but the flip side is it could cool off because there was a lot of buzz and a lot of talk when it happened. MJF was so hot and coming off the pay-per-view, will he or won't he? And he did, but then he did the promo fire me, you fucking Mark, Whatever what's real what's not he really does feel that way we think but now possibly they're venting it on television but now if there's not something then i'm afraid it's going to start cooling off and yes they'll whenever he shows back up if he shows back up the people will react but i'm i'm wondering if 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 we're if we're getting the timing right, has it been long enough that it looks like a shoot and it's really something that happened or is it been so long that the, the, the bloom is starting to come off of it. And then how does he reappear? And you know, if it, if it's in some way where he plausibly reappears to try to hijack the program or do some kind of unscheduled incident and fuck with Tony and or the then that's going to be great. But if he comes back because lawyer Mark Sterling got him an injunction or something, then it's, eh, I I don't know.
2: Well, let's uh, go back to this. I said that this guy last time asked the only serious questions. He did not get his
8: MJF question answered here. Let's go to the follow-up. Thanks. Thanks, Nick. Uh, The other thing is, I wanted to bring a little bit of the real world into this right now. Another non-forbidden door question, but obviously on Friday, there was a big... Supreme Court ruling a big topic of conversation is if employers are gonna be paying for women on under their employee to be going to cross state lines.
2: Now let me stop this for one second. At this point in the Media Scrum, the official AEW video feed of the Media Scrum, it appears that one of the security guards somehow took over the feed or half of the feed. So half of the screen is Tony Khan drinking his non-alcoholic beer, and the other half is a security guard filming himself goes away rather quickly, but that's what
4: you'll
8: be <laughs> hearing here, the noise. the situation does arise, is that something that you would be willing to do to female members of the roster or people that are under your employ?
9: Hasn't come up. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, that situation hasn't come up. And honestly, that the, since last Friday, we've been working on Forbidden Door almost nonstop. So I, 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 that situation has never come up. Uh, so I, I can't say. But Sorry not to answer either of your questions, Nick
1: so fuck
2: you Nick Nick you're the only one asking serious questions I'm not going to answer any of them yeah I won't
3: answer any of your serious questions but I will talk about the theme music all day long and here you go Mick and Nick here's a nice uh, order of fish heads for you here's the thing I believe that he should have answered that question Tony should have because I'm thinking already now this can be a benefit for example, I'm in favor, I heard somebody say, because I'm in favor of retroactive abortions, and I heard somebody say that our little dog Pockets is about 35 years old. So I think instead of six weeks or third trimester or 18 weeks, how many, I think we ought to have AEW legalize retroactive abortions up to
2: well, 35 you years. stop it? Will you stop it? It's a horrible idea. It would improve the the television program and the talent roster immensely. Well, you're being silly there, but on that topic, let's go to another question about music, and actually about someone you just brought up, Orange Cassidy. Tony loves talking music. Let's go to this.
1: Great. Tony, um, I want to talk about Orange Cassidy tonight. Um, Match of the year, potentially, with Will Ospreay. I'm a big... (laughs) What?! What was your reaction when that match was over? Hold on. The reporter
2: just said, you may not have heard it you were laughing, I'm a big orange Cassidy guy. This well, is the wrestling he, media. Then he said match of the year candidate.
3: Oh, my God. These, Do they pay the, the reporters here to come into the room to be part of this? Or are they just marks that want to get to ask questions of their favorite wrestlers?
4: Match of the night to me and
1: reportedly Orange Cassidy was supposed to get new theme music I read somewhere today. Um, we didn't hear that tonight. <laughs> it's a huge part of the wrestlers package. Is that something that you decide on specifically, or is it something that you work with?
2: Yeah, uh, I decide on? on the music. Me- Let me stop right here. Tony looks away as this question is being asked, and he actually gets a little serious. And apparently the song in question, which Orange Cassidy used on the indies, was Jefferson Starship's Jane. A disgrace to Marty
4: ballon and Paul Kantner. Wait,
2: what? Hold on. Yeah, he used
3: Jane. Jane, you're playing a game of hide and go seek. Jane, you're playing a game, and I play for keeps, like a cat and a mouse from door to door and house to house. Don't you know what you're talking about, Jane? That song.
2: There's a reason the San Francisco sound died, ladies and gentlemen. You just heard it. What
3: the fuck does that
2: have to do with Orange Cassidy? Maybe he's in the 70s rock. Ooh, God damn it. Well, maybe so if, this, they can, maybe if, they, if they can't get that, they can get hot tuna. This glorified
3: fucking auto mechanic that ought to be in the fucking pit at the Jiffy Lube wants Tony Khan to pay now money to play
2: him Jefferson
3: Starship.
2: Well, because, that's not the story. Okay. The story apparently is that Tony is more than happy to do that. However, let me finish this question again. I told you, Tony got a little serious about this, Oh, about this song in Orange Cassidy. Let's go to this
9: music. But that is uh, this when I presented this song to him. So I'm I pick a lot of the music and work with Mikey on who's going to have what songs. I license music from outside sometimes. And generally, I'm in charge of the music. Uh, with Mikey, who sees overseas it and does an amazing job and has composed some amazing themes. But I, I work hand in hand with him on that stuff. Just like we talked about when I had an, a concept for the FTR theme and they were in here, Samoa Joe's or even Adam Cole's. And, uh, Mikey's composed all these great themes. We have a good partnership going. And, uh, uh in this case, that's music that Orange Cassidy had used, the theme that is being rumored on the internet for a long time it's also why unfortunately like I love the people backstage and like I you know what's a cool there were like I was just talking about Brody I didn't mean to keep going to it but there were like a hundred people sitting in the stands in Daly's place when Amanda told us Brody was sick I know there's a lot of new people here since then but there were a lot of people here and a lot of them are the same people even though there's a lot of new faces and nobody said a word So when it's something life or death, you can trust the people backstage. But I've learned that like around like a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff is leaked that like it's like really shameful and like people shouldn't be doing it. And that's one of those ones where it like screwed up what would have been maybe a pop but also, which is still be a huge pop. I mean, I'm still, it's th- these things are organic, so you can't make that not, it's gonna be a huge pop if it happens. But, like, the fact that, like, it even came up is dumb, and like, like I said to Sean, which is like, I was like, okay, I mean, if you're gonna report it, I was surprised to read it, because I was like, I wonder why somebody leaked that, because, like, all it does is screw up, it was a fun surprise for the fans, but it's like I told Sean, is I was like,
4: what, what the, f- have what, hundred- wait,
9: have,
3: what the fuck, I have, just play, I- play the fucking music, you idiot! It's not like it needs to be a surprise, it's a fucking song, it's a song for 40 years ago that nobody really liked then being used for a fucking mascot that he's he's worried about the fuck everybody on his roster talks smart in public tells everybody that they love to work with their opponents and how they spent hours and hours going over their match to have a perfect one for the fans but he's upset that somebody fucking spoiled the surprise on the Jefferson starship. Is this what I'm hearing?
2: Yes, I believe so. I believe yes. he references a Sean. I'm assuming that's Sean Ross Sapp. I didn't see the initial tweet that reported this, but he saw that and that this got leaked has really upset him and changed his
4: plans. Oh, well,
2: on and, and changed his plans. So
4: no,
3: we're not giving you a Jefferson starship who gave a shit to begin with
2: well let's go back to the man who gives a shit tony khan
9: i understand it 97.5 percent of the rights but in this case that's zero i mean like i might as well have zero like i we're, we're real close i've been told by the two and a half percent right holder that they're gonna get back to us and uh, it
3: seems, like it's gonna,
9: it seems like it'll probably happen but like the fact that i'm even having to explain this i think is ridiculous and it's because somebody in the back like shouldn't have said what they said and then i was i like sean but i was surprised to see that and i told him and i was like because it's not true and i never even got a chance to refute it and like i know orange said he was going to have something new but technically that's not even something new i think he meant the belt so like uh which he you know came damn close to winning and like i said uh to the announcers and they made a, did a great job integrating orange Cassidy's one of our best most marketable stars he's like he's you know whether people of all ages love him and, and on uh digital when you look at aw most watched digital videos on the youtube channel like like probably six or seven out of the top 10 involve him and he's also a really awesome person so if it does happen if we do get the 100% uh, I'll be really happy because that's something he brought to the table before he was here there's been uh, He's the, the AEW version of Orange Cassidy has really risen to prominence and he was already a beloved independent star. But I think this presentation <laughs> and what he's become here is very different. And I think people respect and understand that he really is a great pro wrestler under the. No,
3: nobody now, respects I or really believes that it tonight
9: he would tear the house down in Chicago like he did with Pac in his very first singles match, which we spent over six months uh-huh. and spent, I think about, I guess not quite six months we were over five months. Of TV, five months of TV building to that, plus the pay-per-views before that. So drink a bowl of Valium really soup,
2: Tony. Cassidy. Well, he loves orange Cassidy, as we've always said. I know said. It's, it's ridiculous. Do we have any songs? Well, we will get to songs. One last question from Tony or for Tony. We'll play a little bit of this. I don't know how long will last. I'm trying to cue it up right now. But Tony was asked about his booking. Let's go to this. Oh boy. Uh, so thanks for asking. <laughs>
6: i our going last, all right. Uh, so, you talking about Claudio earlier mentioned that um, when you talked to Brian, you revealed to him that Claudio was already under contract. So that says to me that you already had kind of creative plans for Claudio that maybe got, um, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but that maybe got sidetracked a little bit. Well, I did. I had two plans, and
9: I what I was saying was I called him the day after. Punk got hurt, and Brian was optimistic that he would be back. But I didn't want—I wasn't 100% sure. So there were there were a couple ways this could have gone. But certainly the idea that he might be at Forbidden Door it definitely crossed. Was a, It came up. But it was. But if I think we were all hoping
6: Brian was going to be here. Uh, so okay. So I guess going more forward with my question. Um, and talking about, uh, some of the challenges you've encountered with Forbidden Door, with Punk getting hurt, with Brian getting hurt, um, and, uh, just a lot of the creative changes that have had to take place. My question is more so about your overall booking philosophy and how much things may have changed over the last, uh, really year for you, um, in that. One of the things that AEW was really known for in the beginning was kind of long-term booking, and that's something that was very much commended, whereas these days <laughs> um, you almost circumstantially can't do a lot of that, and there's been a lot of... Uh, we get more announcements of matches like the day of Dynamite, for example, that we didn't get uh, back in the early days. We used to end a Dynamite kind of knowing every match that was going into the following week. Do you feel like your booking philosophy has had to change a lot in the last year or so with things that have gone on? And how do you feel um, you can sustain that going forward? Yeah. I- Let
2: me just say a great question. Actually, an intelligent question. There, really great. Let's go to Tony. Let's say let's hear the answer.
9: I think that's a really good question. And I I think it changed a lot when we went back on tour. Partially one of the reasons that you used to know everything going in was because we would tape it the next day. So uh, that wasn't like we weren't at, but I think to most of the people who'd be watching this, people might've had an idea, but during the pandemic, when we were in Daily's Place, it was live on Wednesday and then we were taped on Thursday. So it was a very different cadence and style. And then also Thursday, like I would have had 12 days to put everything together by the you know, by the time the next show. So it was different and it was really great. But what happened was the roster grew a lot in that time. We went back on the road, we continued to expand and within basically when we went back on the road, that's when I knew as soon as the fans were back, I'd been sitting on this opportunity that really CM Punk wanted to come back to wrestling and wrestle for AEW when the fans came back. It was just a matter of when we go back on the road. And then once that happened, he and I got really serious. And then all of a sudden, Brian Danielson and Adam Cole were up. And that led to all-out 2021. It's crazy that at the end of the summer, it will be a year since that. But it's this right now is a year that we've been back on the road this week. Blood and Guts represents about a year back on the road almost exactly. And it's been challenging with all the injuries, but I still look to long-term solutions, long-term ideas, long-term thoughts. And if you look, like moxley and tanahashi even though it wasn't the original plan for the show that's a long-term story that had been going for years and i was thinking long term when i didn't want to do mox and tanahashi last summer it was looking ahead because i realized there was probably a bigger platform than the show where it was proposed to happen at in the parking lot of usc's
2: football stadium
9: and so i thought let me
2: stop it here for at least a second please what are your overall instead of just destroying tony as you've done many times any positives you hear of anything he's saying here? i just don't i can't i can't take it i can't stand it it's just
3: words on and on and on and on and on get to a point make a statement make a declare utter a declarative sentence use punctuation it's all of them. They just feel like, okay, are they paying us by the fucking word? It's two o'clock in the morning. Does anybody want to be there? Answer the questions about your fucking match. Sell your shit. and Get
2: the fuck out of there, Tony. Sleep, son. Take a fucking nap. Well, he's all busy in the studio working on music, it seems like. <sighs> How involved with music was Vince when you were there?
3: Um... He would give you, he would have certain things like a vibe he wanted, like with the dude love thing. He went crazy. We got to have the click track, whatever the fuck, right? Uh, But mostly, you know, he would have Jim Johnson. He would just, you know, give him a basic overview of the kind of vibe the guy had, what he was going to be, the basic gist of how he was going to be presented and let them do their thing. I mean... I loved nothing better. Smoky Mountain Wrestling and OVW and to some extent Ring of Honor, although we couldn't use just willy-nilly use all kinds of commercial music there, whereas we did in Smoky Mountain and OVW. I loved picking out music for guys, and I loved when guys would bring me music for themselves that fit what I wanted to do. But it was all commercial music. You couldn't play it, and we were paying absolutely nothing. Fuck you I say ASCAP. Statue of Limitations as they say has run out. But I loved the commercial music made it. I never liked every once in a while I you know Steve Austin's Glass Break and that whole thing that was great but I I'm not knocking Jim Johnston but I never liked for the most part just writing especially instrumentals that for guys. I I liked the commercial music tie-in that really got people up and out of their seat so you know that vince was you know he would make sure that they had music and i've told the story they didn't they didn't have flash funk too cold scorpio's music when he made his first dark match appearance just so vince could look at him so i said how about some rick james went out the car and got one of my cassette tapes here you go and he and fucking here comes flash funk to love gun it was the best entrance he ever did, cause it was great music. I like Jim Johnson. he's a nice guy, and whoever this Mikey or whoever wreck, whoever the fuck Tony's talking about, but they ain't goddamn Mick Jagger or Lennon and McCartney
2: or whatever the fuck, right? Hit music is hit music. All right, well, we're going to get to some hit music in a second, but a couple of quick questions for you, Jim, before we wrap things up. One, have you seen, because it's gotten some mainstream press, an article came up, and then it even got in the New York Post, about Rita Chatterton's accusations against Vince McMahon in 1992, where she accused him of rape, and these accusations have come back to light, considering the circumstances around Vince McMahon. Like I said, I was surprised this got into the New York Post. You have any thoughts on any of this?
3: Well, and she made the accusation, I've I've read up on it within the last day or so. I remember it from years ago, from Donahue or whatever. But she made the accusation in 1992, but it happened allegedly in 1986. And she didn't go public with it because her, I guess her parents were elderly. Her father had, had a couple of heart attacks, didn't want to put them through that. Didn't think anybody would believe her. I mean, you know... I'm not saying that Vince McMahon would not be capable of doing something like that in a limousine with an unsuspecting female. The part of the story that I have a problem with is her saying that he promised me I was going to get a $500,000 a year contract as a female referee. She was in wrestling school with uh, the, well, Mario Mancini is the guy that, he was a, you know, a underneath guy and a local guy, an independent guy in the early days of independence up in the Northeast, seven, late 70s, early 80s. There weren't that many independents, but he was a wrestler. He's corroborated it because he was training with her. What was the, was it the. It was uh, Tony Altamore. Tony Altamar. The point is, that was one of the very few wrestling training programs going at that time, but still, if you were in wrestling school, if Tony Altamari was a part of it, if Mario Mancini, who was actually wrestling, was a part of it, then immediately anybody would have laughed at Vince McMahon or anybody else that said, I'm going to give a referee a $500,000 a year contract. That is not in any way... I can understand if she'd have said... He was going to, he said he'd book me like, you know, a full time because no guarantees were given back then. No guaranteed money came from Vince McMahon, no guaranteed contracts in 1986. So what does she expect us to believe that she was just so completely unawares and naive that she believed that and continued to believe it until after the incident in the limo. And then they quit booking her entirely which obviously I can believe the incident happened but I'm thinking is she trying to make herself more sympathetic by saying well it was half a million dollars Because fuck no Roddy Piper wasn't making a half a million dollars in 1986 I'm not sure but not a referee so that's the That's the problem I have with the story. I wasn't there then. I never met Rita Chatterton in her life. I met Vince McMahon that year for the first time. We had that meeting with him in the Midnight Express, and then I didn't ever see him again for another seven years. So I was not around the company, him, her, or any other thing involved with this in the 80s, so I have no firsthand knowledge, and I never talked to anybody about the thing in the company Uh, other things and Vince's checkered past may have come up, but that didn't. So uh, I guess that's the only thing I'm saying is I think it's just, that's what hit me. It's not, I didn't know Vince that way. Like I've said, it was like, you know, when I was with Vince in the nineties, it was like hanging out with the high school principal. You feel like, I don't want to fuck up. Here's the boss. And he's not doing anything out of the way. But that's the thing that stood out about the story, not that the incident may not have happened, but just how was she even in wrestling school and just being a rookie, how would she believe that when that would be something now? I mean, every fan would know that's ridiculous. But definitely people in the business, I, I didn't understand that part of the story. And she was going to be on the cover of Time Magazine and Newsweek. That was in there also. And the big push and the big... A referee! What the fuck? I know Vince is persuasive, but how do you make somebody believe that? You ju- you're you still in wrestling school, you're still training, you're a referee, which there's never been a female referee before, so we're going to give you a half million dollars a year and get your picture on the cover of Time Magazine, now blow me. What?
2: The other interesting thing is that David Schultz's name gets tied into this.
3: David Where- Schultz wants somebody to say that Vince McMahon was literally arrested on Main Street for cornhole and Satan while his fucking little minion devil screamed no stop it. David Schultz wants anybody to say that he... If David Schultz could say the things that David Schultz wants to say about Vince McMahon without getting hauled into court, it would be the most entertaining fucking dissertation you've ever heard. So with his name in there, I have I have a feeling that that's maybe another thing that worked against her.
2: And I have to say, you know, David Schultz in the past has said various things about Vince McMahon. A lot of them come from that Tony Altamore school where there are various stories and apparently Tony was some kind of Uh, I don't want to use the word stooge because he doesn't deserve that, but he was someone who did things for Vince McMahon and helped out every now and then. I will say this. There's an oral history of WWE that's been worked on for a while. And I was told flat out, there was a list, maybe only five names or so of people that the author was prohibited from speaking with if he wanted company involvement. And the number one name at the top of the list was David Schultz. (laughs) And,
3: and I'm sure David's proud of that because he, he worked hard to climb that mountain. He's not losing a bit of sleep over it.
2: Well, Jim, one last question before we get out of here. This one was sent to Quinny drive through dot gmail.com from Deontay Ash in San Diego. Hey Jim, would it be intriguing to have Cody as the interim owner or booker of WWE? He could be just like his dad, Dusty Rhodes, and also, he could have disputes with Stephanie and Shane for the ownership. They could do different angles and have matches until he returns. It's a good way to keep him on TV. What are your thoughts?
3: Well, now, the it, it, he said the owner or matchmaker in the question. Is that the way he phrased it?
2: Based on the second half of the question or questions here, I'm assuming that he means on air. Oh, yeah, well, still, no...
3: It, it, I wouldn't be opposed to Cody being the matchmaker, or the authority figure, or whatever they they call general manager, whatever. Although general manager, maybe they could come up. Executive producer is a cool title. To How have about EVP on television? EVP, there you go. The EVP, easy peasy EVP. To say he was the owner would stretch credibility and just be gaga. But Cody can talk. That's one of my jobs when I was doing it in TNA is you had to explain the stipulations, these goofy matches that these writers come up with. He can talk. He can do that. He knows how to make things serious and how to put his foot down. It might be something if they indeed did make him for some reason for him to become the matchmaker and then he could interact with all of the top guys that he's making these matches for that can't touch him because he's office and there'd be consequences and repercussions. But then when he finally is ready to get back in the ring, he'd have animosity, animosity, animosity with a bunch of people.
2: I, I like that idea. So with Punk, you thought it was a good idea to keep him off TV until he's ready to come back. And obviously a different situation. World champion, they're going to establish an interim champion. With Cody, who's out, we're told, nine months. Well, yes. Well, see,
3: nobody, nobody said that Punk was going to be out. I mean, my God, he still, even though he hurt himself, he wrestled a match and finished it. I don't think he's goddamn paraplegic. He might only be gone a couple months, we hope. But they're talking about Cody being out for nine months. There's going to be at some point where we need to let sure or make sure that everybody remembers that Cody's still around.
2: Nine months is longer than two months. That it is. We will see how long these months end up being in reality. But Jim, despite the bizarre sentence I just hit you with, let's get a song or two before we wrap things up. Let me uh, find one here. We've got a lot of ones that have been coming in the last few days. This one sent the corny drive-through at gmail.com from Nathan Jones. Let's go to this.
10: Yo, yo, listen, listen, corny Brian last. Listen, listen, he's my boy. His name is Johnny Ace. He
9: will double your wage if you sit on his face. <laughs> thought he was untouchable and loved to get pleasured. But poor Johnny Ace, just been future endeavored.
2: Listen. <laughs> All right. it appears that you and Max Caster have now inspired the listeners. How do you oh feel my about God. that?
3: Well, listen. i tell you. Only thing I can say is to quote Paul Heyman, his name is PN News and he raps all the time, but the funny thing about him is his raps don't rhyme. Now, we know that he can sing and we know that he can dance, but with a belly like that, how
2: do he make romance? Let's go to our next song. This is from,
4: how do I say this, Tiger Metal in Milwaukee. Here's his song. The Rap. Would
3: you like to hear me read the rap? You transcribed it, really? I transcribed the rap, and now I've been reading the rap, but if you've read the rap that he's written, you'll know it's a really well-written rap. So he said, and I quote,
7: <laughs> Yo! The acclaim, top of the Listen. chain, so I bet you know the name. Listen! And all the fans entertain the Acclaims. Yo! Running in the game, and we in our own lane. Everybody yo. saying that they
1: want to be acclaimed.
3: Acclaimed in the guns, yo. We back in the zone. Y'all gonna choke like Patrick Mahone. Yo, Felix, I don't give one look. I'll break your arm again like I broke Punk's foot. Hager, Garcia, y'all out of luck. I'ma send you back up Jericho's butt. I'm turning all y'all into sad boys two guns that shouldn't be banned are the ass boys yo listen yo rather tame he didn't he didn't get anybody's vagina or anything on this one
2: Once again, hip hop has taken over the drive through. Jim, what are your thoughts on this from Tiger Metal? Who would have ever thought that I would be one of the biggest promulgators and
3: pushers of the rap and the hip and the hop?
2: Well, we'll see how you feel after we get you a Grammy somehow. But, Jim, let's go to our next song. This one, the latest submission from Rocky the Ramone. Let's go to this. <laughs>
4: Me
0: and Mr. McMahon (laughs) We got a thing going on We both know that it's wrong But I'll get along With an extra 100,000 We meet every day At Titan Towers 9am pal Everyone knows We'll be there Taking notes all kinds of plans, while Jerry McDivitt keeps a secret and plays along. Me and Mr. Mr. McMahon, Mr. McMahon, Mr. McMahon, so bad, so bad. We got a thing. An extra hundred thousand Well it's time for me To believe leaving It hurts so much It hurts so much inside Now he'll go his way And I'll go mine Tomorrow with Johnny Ace at the same time, me and Mr. Mr. McMahon, Mr. McMahon, Mr. McMahon. tower, the same office, the same time, and we're going to sign an NDA, and they ain't going to talk it over, talk it over.
2: I think I can finally start playing this down. It went for a while, but there's Rocky the Ramone, not hey, Billy Paul. Hold
7: on, hold on here. Wait a minute. Where is it at? Rocky yeah. me and Mr. Mr. McMahon,
2: Mr. McMahon, Mr. McMahon, Mr. McMahon, Mr. McMahon. Well, let's end with one more. Rocky Ramon and Billy Paul teaming up there. This one was sent to Courtney drive through at gmail.com from... So, a her name here, Jason in Alabama. Let's go to this, our final song.
1: Sitting at a meeting table in Stanford, Connecticut. Oh my God. Yeah. She was staring at her coffee cup. Vince was trying to keep his packs held up. Ace was applying oil. The talk was small about his massive balls when he knew what he wanted. <laughs> there was no need to talk about it. She was old enough to count the money and it kept her loose. She said, you don't look like my type, but I guess you'll do. I paid rendezvous (laughs) and he said I'll even give you stock options if you want me to
4: third-rate
1: romance I paid
2: He's about to tight Cotton panties. <laughs> mm.
1: She thought this ain't bizarre. Vince called for his car and they drove away. He took a ride with his lady friend. They didn't even have to pretend they didn't know what for. He went to the desk and made his request while she waited outside. Well, he came back with a key. He said, don't tell Stephanie and I'll unlock the door. She kept saying, I've never really done this kind of thing before. Have you? Yes, I have, but only a time or two, three, four.
2: Jason in Alabama. Oh, yeah. Yes. Even more, even more. There's some more over there. That's right. Well, with that, the drive-thru is closed. All right. Pentatonic. Of course, you can hear us this weekend on the Jim Cornette Experience, wherever you find your favorite podcast, and right back here next week on the drive-thru, once again, wherever you find your favorite podcast. Get access to the archive at the drive through and the experience, patreon.com slash Cornette. $5 a month gets you access to the archive, patreon.com slash Cornette. Don't forget about the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Go and subscribe today. Just go to YouTube and search for Jim Cornette. It'll be the very first thing that pops up. Over 304,000 subscribers and growing every single day. Full episodes, clips of episodes. Omnibus Collections, all with the very popular Travis Heckel artwork, the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. You can follow Jim on Twitter at the Jim Cornette. You can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Don't forget about Cornette's collectibles at JimCornette.com. What's going on there today? Not a goddamn thing I'm sitting here talking to you at jimcornett.com don't forget the drive through is brought to you by the law office of Stephen P. New 888-692-8084 get even with Stephen at newlawoffice.com and he'll be on the show very very soon but until next week right back here on the drive through, and this weekend on the experience for Jim Cornett, I'm the great Brian Last
10: Tally Ho! Well it's Jim Cornett's drive through. Yes, it's Jim Cornette's drive through Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting on Big Fuck and Putin and those outlaw macho show fucks. Joey Ryan, the Young Bucks, the Rednecks and Dumb Fucks, and them door-corner bum fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella and Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Tony's drive-through. Tony's drive-through. Tony's drive-through. Well, it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his millions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah they think they are wrestlers in video games, just like Kenny Omega. Leader of the mighty cult of cornets and to the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow up dolls, pick or dance routines with blood, sellouts, and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about RIMO? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion. She's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you, Steven you Everybody, Connie's drive-through. Connie's drive-through. Connie's drive-through. And now, here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass.